Hello and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history as told, card by card, through Cube. I'm Austin, and as always, I'm joined by Connor. How are you today, Connor? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. It's been a been a productive day of podcasting, been a productive day of making spreadsheets, and any day I can make a spreadsheet is a, is a good day in my book. You gotta love it. So this season, we're, we're building a cube from the original Kamigawa block. And today we're talking about the blue cards of Kamigawa. So if you're just joining us, you might want to rewind and start with episode one, where we reviewed the white cards and also introduced our patent eligible impab rating system, where we'll, which we use to rate the cards, uh, and talked a little bit about the history of the block. So rewind, listen to a mere three hours and 40 minutes of that, and you'll be ready for blue. And with that out of the way, I think it's just time to buckle up and, and talk about 50 blue cards. Yeah, we're going to plow through some... Uh... Some really great cards today. Yeah, there there will be gems, we promise, amidst um, amidst some not gems, which is par for the course for Kamigawa Block, and, and that's why we love it. It sure is. All right, first up, we have Aura of Dominion. You, you, for an enchantment aura, enchant creature. One, comma, tap an untapped creature you control untap enchanted creature this card is very cute it's like it sings out as a cute build around um but i just don't think any kamigawa set cube or, or maybe any cube um it's doing enough in blue i i can't find almost anything to pair this with i do see some other cards that would be very cool uh marrow nar most notably is a rat that taps to make more rats based on how many rats you control and you can easily see it getting out of control with r of dominion kind of cool with kiki jiki there's some other stuff like Ghostlit Warder, Hidetsugu, uh, Kabuto Moth, etc. Like there's other things, but none of them are amazing outside of Maronar. And I just feels like it's asking for a lot um, to get this card and something that's relevant in both the draft and the games. So eh, I, just, I don't see a place for this card. Yeah. And I think the fact that you have to, it's an enchant creature, not just an enchantment. So you have to have it like ready to go to put on the exact creature that you want to put it on. You can't, you know, have the aura out ahead of time and then play the creature that you want to go with it later. You have to put the aura on the creature you want to use, which I think makes it even more limited as a card. The only card in blue I could see this maybe doing something with is our next card, a zombie, Mm. Lady of Scrolls. Um, It's like kind of clever with that, but I just don't think this is worth having in. Yeah, the point about an aura is a good one, too, of, you know, this has all the usual aura disadvantages of if the creature gets removed, you're down two cards. If this... If this was just an enchantment that sat out there, it could do something, do this to any creature you control. I could see much more of a case for it. Yeah, but there's no case here. All right, should we just cut it? Insta cut. Cut it. Easy. Okay. Speaking of Azami, she's our next card. Azami, Lady of Scrolls, two U U U, for a legendary human wizard. Zero two. She says, tap an untapped wizard you control. Draw a card. So this is a. To me, a, a fun, cool, like flavorful card. I love the idea of it. I'd love to see her make it into the cube, but this stat line makes me so very sad. Zero two. She can't even defend herself the the littlest bit. It's it's interesting that you know th- this ability to like tap a wizard you control and draw a card and theoretically you know draw a bunch of cards every turn like strikes me as sort of surprisingly powerful for a Kamigawa card. Yeah. But then it's put on this five mana zero two. <laughs> that, that, um, so I don't know how to feel about her. I want that her feels in. like classic Kamigawa. It does, yeah. Just like a like hard nerf to the stats and a massive mana cost just to get her out. 
to have access to this ability. Yeah, it's tricky. I, I feel like she probably does enough. So if we take her just on her own with no other wizards, she basically is like a five mana draw a card once a turn thing. And she can do it the turn she comes into play too, right? It's not, she's not tapping herself as an activation cost. She's tapping a wizard. So she's kind of like, you know, she's kind of like a coercive portal, you know, the cube staple four mana basically draws you a card at the start of every turn. You know, she's kind of like a, a coercive portal that can be shocked and that costs three designated blue mana and one more mana total. When you put it that way, she's basically yeah. a Honden. Yeah, exactly. She's, she's like the a Honden. Honden, but she oh. can be killed as a creature. Hold on. Yes. And oh she gets better with multiple. Like if you have two wizards, I feel like in a format as grindy and slow as Kamigawa, this is very good, right? Like drawing a couple extra cards every turn, you're going to bury your opponent pretty effectively. That's what I was, I'm, I'm hoping for her. I'm hoping that she's good. And, you know, we, we were assuming, I think safely that like this cube is going to lead to some very grindy games. So I've been trying to think about that as we're going through these blue cards, because that for a lot of them is the only situation where they're going to be good. Yeah. If you get into a super grindy game, I think we should have her in maybe mm -hmm. just one copy uh, and see how it goes. And see how many wizards we get. Yeah, I th I think she'll surprise us. There's, uh, I don't know if I said already, there's 27 total wizards in the block, you know, and even if only half of them make it, that's, there's going to be a lot of wizards bouncing around in the cube. You know, I think almost all the Soratami, and there are like a ridiculous number of Soratami in blue, are wizards. So I don't know. I feel like she's probably going to be fine. Maybe even good. I wouldn't be surprised if she's good. Let's try it. Uh, what do you think about the rating? So I had, this is kind of almost pedantic. I had her as a build around... I think she might actually just be a playable. Like, I don't, you don't have to build around her, right? She's just a draw a card a turn if you have some wizards and gravy. Yeah. But if you don't have any other wizards, I might still throw her in a deck. Yeah, I had her as a build around too, but I guess that's kind of right. She does do something on her own, so you don't strictly have to build around her. And I'd probably pick this over a lot of other cards that are going to come up in the draft. Many of the upcoming cards, I would definitely take Azami first. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we should just call her playable then. Yeah, let's call her playable. I, we should talk about her e place in EDH too, because she's pretty popular. She's got a thousand and eighty decks to her name on uh, EDH Trek. That's that's pretty good for a Kamigawa commander. Yeah, she's only beaten by Marunar as far as Kamigawa commander popularity. Wow, I'm surprised Marunar beats her. That's interesting. Yeah, people love rats. Okay, and and she appears in seven thousand seven hundred decks total. I don't know, pretty that's a lot. pretty decent stats. Pretty good. Playable in a single copy? Welcome to the team, Azami. Let's talk about Callous Deceiver, part of everyone's least favorite cycle. Callous Deceiver, two and a U for a 1-3 spirit. One, look at the top card of your library. Two, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a land, this gets plus one, plus O, and gains flying until end of turn. Play this ability only once each turn. I sh we talked about it in white. I hate these cards. I just hate this cycle so, so much. Like, even if they just had all the abilities they get, they would be good. Like, they would be three mana, two, three flyers, which is actually would be pretty darn good. But, like, this card is just insultingly bad. And then you can only do it once a turn. I don't know what Wizards was thinking with this cycle. But, Austin, it only costs three mana on top of the three mana to play it to make this okay. As a two, right. three yeah, flyer. exactly. Yeah. I defended the white deceiver, harsh deceiver, a little too much, I think. 
and I'm done. I've decided I'm done defending the deceiver cycle. They deceived we have you, three Connor. more of these. They did deceive me. And we've got three more of these to go through after this one. So I'm I'm done standing up for them and defending them as cards. They are terrible. I was not harsh enough on harsh deceiver. <laughs> I will be callous about callous deceiver. <laughs> I'll be cruel to cruel deceiver. I can't remember the other two, but I'm not going to be nice to them anymore. They are expensive, weak cards with a not interesting ability. I really thought you were going to keep going through all five, and it was it was blowing my mind. I, if I could remember them, I would. <laughs> I don't want to scroll too much. And I don't want you to remember them. You know what? They don't deserve that space in your brain. They don't deserve it. Uh, yeah, okay. This is an Instacut. I mean, I, we'll probably will end up talking at least a little bit about the others, but if there's ever a cycle that we could just skip in the discussion, it would be the Deceiver cycle. These cards are so yeah, bad. I think Cruel Deceiver is maybe okay. But let's move on. Instacut. Instacut. Easy. Uh, moving on to Consuming Vortex. This is 1U for an instant arcane. Return target creature to its owner's hand. And it has Splice onto Arcane 3U. So just as a friendly reminder, Splice onto Arcane means that as you play an arcane spell, so an instant or sorcery with this arcane type, uh, you can reveal this card from your hand, pay its splice cost, and then if you do, you add this card's effects onto that spell. I felt like this might be pretty okay to have in blue. Like, it's it's two mana for a bounce, which is just sort of the standard bounce cost in blue. The splice ability is neat and seems like reasonably costed to be able to have this as a repeat effect. Especially if we get to a lot of grindy games in blue, which seems likely, this could be a really good thing to have. Yeah, I had this all the way up at playable, which might be too strong, but I just felt like, you know, if there's going to be an arcane deck, this feels like part of the glue that holds it together. Um, if you splice this a couple times, you're getting, I think it's pretty annoying. I think you're slowing your opponent down pretty meaningfully while you, I guess what, while you get uh, a zombie online or you get some of these other really expensive late game blue cards maloku online i don't know something while you're while you're stalling until you can do something in blue um i feel like this helps you stall your way there it's a little awkward now that i'm thinking about stalling my way there and i guess this is true of a lot of splice cards but the splice cost in this case is twice as much as the cost of playing yeah it's a lot playing the card plus you got to pay for the card you're splicing onto right yeah so you got to pay for that card so thinking about you know splicing this onto let's say a two mana arcane spell you're looking at six mana for probably two not very good effects but the tricky thing about these splice cards is that with paying the lower cost you're actually playing the card and getting rid of it with the splice cost you're paying more but you get to keep it so that you can then play it later at the lower cost so i think what i'm trying to get at is that if you're trying to survive to that turn five or turn six or whatever and you have to play the consuming vortex on turn two or three instead of splicing it you can't splice it anymore because it's gone but if you hold on to it to splice it on turn four or five, then at that point, the value of the Vortex as a two-mana spell is maybe a little less. So I'll confess I'm a little bit dizzy, but I think I'm following. I'm also a little confused. Yeah, you saying six it mana... It sense before I started talking. <laughs> you saying six mana reminded me... I saw someone on Gatherer compare this to Capsize, which is an extremely annoying card. So Capsize is one UU for an instant. Um, return target creature to its owner's hand, and then you can buy back for three, which means put it back into your hand after it resolves. This uh, this is kind of like Capsize, and comparing it with Capsize mm-hmm. makes me like it less, right? Because for cap- Capsize, it's like six mana. You can do it every turn, right? You don't need any other cards. You don't need to keep chaining card advantage. It's just there. 
annoying your opponent forever. This thing, the, the problem with all the splice cards is you need to keep drawing splice cards for them to work. And I feel like I my experience playing with splice cards is rusty, right? I haven't played with splice cards since like 2005. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really remember how easy it is to chain them together. But I feel like we have to find some way to make splice part of the cube. And this feels like part yeah. of the glue um, to make that deck work. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think we should have it in. I rated it as meh because it's just not that powerful. But I think two or three copies would make sense. Yeah, I had it all the way up at playable. I don't know, we could... Uh, maybe we start with three and just see what it feels like. Yeah, let's go with that. We also didn't talk about the art. I really like the art on this thing. I like this giant fish blue mouth thing that's swallowing up a human figure into, I don't know where it's being, I guess into the ether it's being swallowed up. I don't know. It's it's pretty cool. It's cool art. 3X, easy. Uh, Council of the Soratami, 2U for a sorcery. Draw two cards. Easy peasy. It's just divination. For a brief period, Wizards decided that this should be the new Divination. I don't really know why. But in 9th and 10th edition, this replaced Divination as, you know, the Divination that always gets printed in the core set. If you don't know what Divination does, it's literally this card, um, by the way, just with uh, a different name. I feel like Divination itself, this is always fine. It's never that good. It's never unplayable. The thing that's most rough about this card is that it's not Arcane. And I feel like that probably started with the fact that they put Soratana. This is where Champion putting Flavor first shoots itself in the foot. I feel like they decided this is called Council of the Soratami. It has a Soratami. That means it's a mortal affiliated card. That means it can't be Arcane. If this was Arcane, it would be great. It would work so well with Consuming Vortex and um, all of the other Arcane things, right? But the fact that it doesn't have that subtype means it doesn't it doesn't link into the deck that cares about instants and sorceries. And that that's infuriating me, as you may be able to hear in my voice. But the Arcane spells are already a subtype of instants and sorceries. And then the arcane spells that can be spliced onto another arcane spell are a further subset of arcane. So it's already yeah. a pretty limited number of spells that you're working with that can be spliced onto something. And then the fact that they can only be spliced onto specifically arcane spells uh, makes it seem... I, I feel like it's going to be really difficult to have splice onto arcane be a very meaningful mechanic in the cube because there's just yeah. not that many things you can splice. Yeah. and you know, there's going to be a situation where you're just sort of, you're holding on to one splice card, but you don't have an arcane spell to splice it onto. And you're, you're thinking, you know, yeah. do I use this now? Do I wait until I maybe draw one of the three arcane cards in my deck? And it, like, is it yeah. even worth it to be thinking about this? So I think, I think you're totally right that with a card like this, like arcane would be perfect, but the fact that you, that arcane is only on some cards and you can only splice onto arcane makes all those mechanics feel a lot less interesting and relevant and powerful. But I agree that like this, this card is just kind of like solid value. Yeah. I, I almost feel like they should have found again with the, the lore taking kind of dominating the, the mechanics of the set. I almost feel like they should have just said, I don't know, everything in the block is arcane, right? Like something about the Kami war has made all magic into this arcane magic. Um, so that they could have had all the instants and sorceries or almost all of them play with this uh, this mechanic. That's not really Council of Soratami's fault. That's a broader decision. We can still put it in the cube. It's fine. I like the art on this thing a lot. It's kind of peaceful in a way I like. It's probably your clearest view of the moon folk and their weird kind of bunny ear things and crazy hairdos. It's just a, it's a nice, solid piece yeah. of art. Yeah, it's a really pretty card. Some other tidbits. Uh, Mark Rosewater actually gave this card as kind of an example. There's... A few cards like this we'll see 
probably throughout the block, but certainly at least in Champions of Kamigawa, where the name of the card is kind of too confusing to players just from a first read. So this mm. is called Council of the Soratami. And of course, there's two different ways you can spell council. One of them is like as a noun referring to like a group of counselors. And the other one is the way it's spelled on this mm. card, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, meaning like advice. So this one is advice of the Soratami. It's giving you advice, giving you cards. But if you just hear this name, Council of the Soratami, it sounds like it would maybe be some kind of legendary creature that's like a group of Soratami counselors. Mm. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. As a grammar nerd. Huh. So there's some other there's some other cards like that in this set where, and we're going to have one coming up here pretty quick, where like the name and sometimes even the art is kind of confusing and off-putting and you know makes you think that it would be a type of card that it's not. That's a great point because there are a couple more. Um, is the one you're talking about that's also confusing Eerie Procession? Because I feel like that one also, you could look at it and think it's a creature and the name could totally be a creature. Yeah, yeah, that one too. And actually the card immediately following that, Eye of Nowhere, we'll get get more into both of these mm. in a little, just a sec. But yeah, those both kind of look like from the name and the art, they could be a creature, they should be a creature. Uh, and then they're a sorcery. Wow, we got a lot of mileage out of Council of Soratami. Simple, playable 2x is the final rating? I think so. Yeah, we drew at least two cards off. <laughs> okay, uh, next card is Cut the Tethers. 2UU for a sorcery. It says, for each spirit, return it to its owner's hand unless that player pays three. Three colorless mana. I rated this as an insta-cut because it just seems bad. It's either like totally useless and just sits in your hand you know, with you waiting for the situation that this is going to be worth spending four mana on. Or alternatively, if your opponent is just all in on spirits, then it's like a quasi board wipe for them, which isn't a particularly fun experience. And even yeah. in that situation where your opponent does have a bunch of spirits, this is still just a sorcery. So your options with it are going to be a lot more limited. I guess it's like a human finisher against a spirit deck, but it seems really bad. I think it's really bad too. I waffled a bit on this, but the other thing is I feel like the blue deck leans harder towards spirits than certainly than white that we just got out of. Like I think most colors in the block have pretty close to a 50-50 breakdown of spirits, um, non-spirits. But I think, you know, there's some colors where the, the spirits are just better. And I think blue spirits are pretty good. Blue is definitely where the like arcane and splice thing sits most deeply. So this is extra awkward in blue because I feel like you're unlikely. I And this takes too blue you know it's double designated and so i'm just struggling to see a deck that can cast this and wants to and where you're saying like and as you're saying even if somehow it's castable and relevant and makes sense in your deck and your opponent's playing spirits it's still a feel bad at the end of the day in a way that just you don't want to include it. not just like just not a fun experience and i think that's a good point that you made that and really throughout kamigawa like there are probably not that many decks even in a constructed format but definitely not in a cube there are not that many decks that are going to exist where you are all spirit or all not spirit unless yeah. there's something very specific you're trying to accomplish with the deck like maybe zuberas yeah but in cube i, I think you're right where it's just like you want you're just you want the best cards you know, and there you might lean more towards one side of the war or another side of the war but us planeswalkers are going to be playing both sides uh, that you saying Zubera this doesn't work for the Zuberas but it did make me think is there some hidden deck here that wants to bounce its own spirits but we established last time there's no ETB effects in the block so it, I don't think the answer is no there's no ETB effects but 
there are having a lot of cards in your hand effects that we'll be talking about much more in saviors. <laughs> they planted a seed for saviors. This is planted. This cut the tethers is planting the seed for saviors, where you want to have fifteen cards in your hand to get a not very good effect to activate. Um, so I guess oh. this is good there. I will say I really love the art for this card, and I feel this is one of those cards where I feel like yeah, I just great. had never seen it at all before looking at it right now. Like I never got this in a pack. Obviously, no one ever talked about this card, um, but it's really, really cool art. It's like extremely colorful uh, and sort of looks like an abstract painting, but also has this uh, very like clearly defined, bold line art commie creature in the middle with, uh, I guess, a mortal sort of leaning away from it or fleeing or something. Um, but it's just so colorful. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because the... I feel, uh, yes, I agree. It's colorful. I'm not sure if I like it in the same way you do because I find it gross. But also, I'm like, it's just kind of gross. It's like every half the things in this are evoking like maggots for me in a way I don't like. But the other thing I'm finding weird about it is I feel like the spirit is winning in this art and the mortal looks like he's in trouble. And that feels backwards too, right? That's a good point. Doesn't it it feel feel backwards? backwards. The mortal looks, he's, he's cowering. Uh, like a someone from a Renaissance painting, and the spirit's like hissing at him. He's got like a blue dragon coming off the side, hissing, and it looks like it's gonna like s- swallow yeah. him up. Or I don't... anyway, no, I don't I... mean to take away from the art. I think it's pretty well executed, but it's awkward with yeah, the... it. Doesn't match the card too well. Man, this card. Yeah, I'd never seen it before either. It's one of those cards where I'm like, I don't know how I missed this for 18 years, but I did, and this may be yeah. the last time I think about well, it. Let's move on. It's the cut. All right, bye bye. Uh, let's talk about Dampen Thought. One U for an instant arcane. Target player mills four cards. Splice onto arcane for one and a U. So two mana, mill four cards, splice for two. I really want this to be a build around. It seems like it could make a really cool, interesting limited deck where you put this together with some of the, um, the game delaying other arcane spells that we were just talking about and you get some other mill stuff in there and you just stall your opponent forever and then win that sounds great the problem is there's no other mill deck cards in the whole block it's bizarre so there's only four other cards in the entire block that allow you to mill your opponent's cards and only one of them cloud hoof curin is even remotely playable the other two are just terrible so like i i don't understand what this card is doing here it's very frustrating yeah, if um, it's it's like it was printed just a little bit too early, and you know it would have fit into the Demir archetype in Ravnica perfectly, which is the very next block. Yeah, uh, but of course there's no splice in Ravnica, and there could be no splice because there's no spirits or right. arcane. Um, but yeah, it's just this card just kind of makes me a little bit sad because it, yeah, you're right. It feels like it should be good. It should have some purpose. It should let you turn on some kind of milling engine, but there's just no support for that in this block. There was like this long period of magic, I feel like, where wizards had done market research and found that casual players liked mill. And they said, great, there will be one mill card per block. In my first stint playing magic from like 03 to 08, every set would have maybe one mill card. There were never enough to quite mean anything outside, as you're saying, of Ravnica and the Demir. And this is an example of like, we got to give the mill players their card. There it is. You know, and kind of like we're done at that. We're not, we're not going to try to... Give them, like imagine, so nowadays, for example, when they want mill in a set, like with uh, rogues in um, the recent Zendikar set, you know, they, they staple it onto a bunch of other stuff, you know, like the counter spells will just mill one or two cards or, you know, maybe the, uh, 
the one we just talked about, the bouncy thing. Consuming Vortex, maybe that'll mill a card or two on top of it, right? And if you had a couple other incidental mill effects, I feel like this card could really uh, do some work as a, as a sort of finisher. But as it is, meh, you can't. Also, I just realized this, that there's like blue smoke coming out of this guy's ears in this. I guess that's, those are his thoughts leaving his head or through his ears. Or his, his thoughts are being dampened because this, you know, this mist is going into his ears. Oh, it's going into it's his ears. up his brain, Whew. dampening his thought. Yeah. Ooh, that's more disturbing. All right, hot take, Connor. Would you rather have, if you were this guy, would you rather have the mist coming out of your ears or into your ears? Boy, that's good. That's that's tough. That's a heavy one, right? I lean toward out. I agree. It's it's uh, your your identity is not irrevocably changed. You know, into your ears, it's an invasion. But maybe maybe that's your identity going out of your ears. In which case, what's going to go in there to replace it? The heavy stuff in this in this set. Yeah, it's stop provoking set. Listeners, write in and let us know, would you rather have the, the blue mist of dampened thought entering or leaving your ears? We want to know. How would you like to be dampened? Is this an Instacut? It's got to be, right? This is an Instacut. That's too bad. <sighs> we promise there are good cards coming. Just just stick with us. Stick with us for a while. We'll get there. But our next card is Eerie Procession. <laughs> to you for a Sorcery Arcane. Search your library for an arcane card, reveal that card, and put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library. I rated this as a build around because it's, you know, it's sort of like, mm. to me, it seemed like a classic build around type card where whether or not you have it in the deck is going to depend on whether you have, you know, one or maybe two specific arcane spells that you're looking for to set up a combo. I could only think of one because I'm fixated on Zubera's. This would let you. This would let you get of Devouring Greed, which is the key. <laughs> it's all about it Devouring it's Greed. All, I you. cannot wait until we get to Black so I can talk about all of this. We seriously should do a dedicated app. I, I honestly, I'm wondering if we should do like a 15 minute, 20 minute micro episode I'm just on the Zubera deck. So okay, this could be ahead. part of that to get you that Devouring Greed to set up the deadly Zubera combo. But I, I really struggled to think of any, I looked at all the arcane spells in champions and devouring greed was really the only one i saw that would like let you really do much of anything with a card like this yeah that's what i i bumped up against that too of like the card itself is interesting but it was just really hard to see what you're fetching really in the whole block so there's devouring greed that also came to mind for me there's the shoals which are fine there's Evermind, which is coming in Saviors. It's like a blue card that can't be cast, but can be repeatedly spliced to draw cards. And uh, that's kind of it. One of, the, one of the weird things about the arcane spells in this block, well, there's two weird things. So one of them is very few of them are big. You know, you don't have, you know, you don't have the equivalent of, say, the finale of Devastation or the finale cycle, right? These big, huge spells that do something epic and game-ending or game-altering. You know, most of the arcane spells are kind of small beer and usually kind of expensive small beer because... They're uh, pricing in the fact that you might be able to splice onto it or splice it onto something else. Very few of them are removal or damage dealing. So it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to see why it would be better to include this than just include an arcane spell. Cause you're also paying three mana for this, which is not cheap, right? Like if this was two mana, I think there'd be more to talk about, but the fact that you're adding three mana to just get us, I don't know. Yeah. I, I struggle with it. Sorcery. You know, you can't even like do it at the end of your opponent's <laughs> right. turn and, Get the card you need. For, like, if you want to play this with another arcane spell, the arcane spell that you fetched 
in the same turn, you know, you're looking at a lot of mana. We should talk about the art though, right, Connor? Yes, please, please. Boy, this is a hard one to describe. It's um, kind of a circle of, I guess, goldfish uh, sw- swimming around in the sky because uh, it's Kamigawa. They sort of look like Magikarp. <laughs> they really do. And they all have little feet. Uh, hands. And in their hands. Oh, little hands. Claws. Like, yeah, like a bird. Claw. They're like bird, bird feet. Claws. Yeah, they're little bird feet holding um, banners with writing on them. Uh, and they're all proceeding in a circle around, I guess, an orb, a little glowing orb oh, in I the never center. I noticed the orb. What? Yeah, they're orbiting yeah. the orb. Huh. Uh, and they all look kind of like angry or freaked out or something. Um, but it's it's a really it's a really cool looking card. Uh, very strange, and as we mentioned just a few minutes ago, like kind of looks like it should be a creature. Mm-hmm. Um, and the name also suggests that it should be a creature. But yeah, great art. Yeah, and it's beautifully rendered. It's kind of like just for me, it's just far enough towards realism, but not so far that it's jarring. Like it's still got a painterly quality to it. Just another one of those where they clearly gave the artists like a lot of creative freedom to execute, particularly out like on the instance and sorceries. And in this case, Jim Murray just knocked it out of the park. It's a pity. It's such a bad card. Yeah, it really is. I've never heard of Jim Murray before. It looks like he was quite active, basically from Mirrodin through Shards of Alara and then never did any more art. Uh, and he's done some other notable pieces like uh, Celestial Crusader. I love that art. Reaper King, Revelark, Sundering Titan. He's got he's got some hits hidden in his in his. Uh, portfolio yeah uh do we include this card connor i feel like we started we both started on the idea we should and like as we're talking through it i'm not so sure yeah i think we call it a build around for now and save it for the zubera episode all right i don't even know if it'll make it in there but we'll see let's talk about eye of nowhere you you for a sorcery arcane return target permanent to its owner's hand uh, I think this is pretty good. I have it as a playable. Um, it's boomerang. It's got arcane stapled to it. I feel like these are. This is another example of the cards we need to make the arcane deck work. I'm kind of worried the entire arcane deck consists just of cards we need to make the arcane deck work, but none of them are good in themselves. Yeah, I think it's fine. It could bounce a land. I'm not sure if that's relevant, but it's kind of kind of fun. Yeah, it can be in. I rated it a med just because it's hard to get excited about. You know, it's it's nice that it can b- bounce a land or any other permanent. Nothing nothing about this effect excites me too much. Um, the art, on the other hand, does excite me. Yeah. You go ahead and describe it. You had some good notes on this one. Okay, yeah, because uh, I love it. Um, so it is a, uh, it's a giant eyeball in the center of a green swirling ocean vortex. There's a bunch of ships floating in this vortex being sucked into it, and all of the ships have been nabbed by nautiluses or it's possible that the nautiluses now that i look at it more the nautiluses are part of the eye actually i think they're on team i and there's one ship being pulled into the vortex. see i'm learning as i look here so there's a giant eye there's a vortex there's nautiluses with sails on them and there's a ship that's going down as it's pulled into the eye of nowhere you know as i describe it i feel like that is a lot of magical effects uh to bounce a thing <laughs> i feel like this should be doing something a little more meaningful it's, it's a lot of work to yeah. get that ship back to its owner's hand. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love this art. It's got like a movie monster vibe to me. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of the Kamigawa art is strange and weird, which I like for that reason. Um, like Eerie Procession is weird and wonderful. It's kind of hard to see how it brings an arcane spell into your hand, but that's fine because it's so great. This one is kind of more direct in the way most magic art is and that it's like, yeah, it looks like a spooky thing's happening. I get it. Yeah. But this is another one where... 
both the name and the art, especially put together, look like this should be a creature. It should, it should be, be a, a kraken. A big kraken, yeah. Not not a two mana sorcery. Yes, agree. So it's a little disappointing to me that you know this this art was slapped onto a a sorcery that's just making a ship go away. Yeah, Kamigawa was so interesting in that sense of like the art direction is so incredibly strong. And I love it for that reason, but it really does feel like the art kind of ran ahead and, you know, kind of outstripped the the gameplay. Um, and, you know, it ended up with a set that just feels a little bit weak and a little disjointed. I know Morrow talks about this was like a set where creative kind of came in before play and defined the set. And they the, one of their lessons was it should always be the other way around. Yeah. I still somehow have more to say about I have nowhere. I have two more two more observations to share. So one is, uh, it's a ways out, but in Saviors, we're going to talk about a card called Ebony Owl Netsuke, which punishes your opponent for having, I believe, seven or more cards in their hand. There could be like a deck that's like the Netsuke and then a bunch of these bounce things, and it just keeps like crowding your opponent's hand. I know that might sound like madness, but there was a standard, like a genuinely good standard deck called Owling Mine. Um, that used that plus Howling Mind to do that. Now, admittedly, we don't have <laughs> Howling Mind. Name. Isn't that a great name? But yeah, that that might be a thing. Yeah. So a couple of these, two of these in. Wait, I have one more thing to say, which is I hate the flavor text. So the flavor text is, once we pray to the Kaijin for safe voyage, now we pr- only pray that we can escape their gaze. Hayato, Master Sailor. Now that might seem inoffensive, and it is. The thing that offends me about it is that it is so inoffensive. Like it doesn't say anything. It's just another. There's. We've had a couple of these already where it's just like magical things. You know, it's like it doesn't. It doesn't invite me to the world. There's no sense of mystery in it. Like the thing in the flavor text is exactly what's in the art in a way that I, I kind of wish they'd pushed a little bit more and done something more creative. Yeah, there's a lot of flavor text like that in Magic, though. Yeah, I know. All right, all right. I promise I'll shut up about it. I have nowhere. Meh, two X. Yeah, meh, two of them. <laughs> two mehs, all right. Double meh. Our next card is Field of Reality. To you for an enchantment aura, enchant creature. Enchanted creature can't be blocked by spirits. You can also pay one U to return Field of Reality to its owner's hand. This just seems like way too limited to be useful. You know, we've talked a lot already about how um, counting on your opponent to have spirits uh, is not a very safe bet, even in this spirit-themed block. The fact that you can bounce this and then, I guess, put it onto another one of your creatures that you want to slip past the spirits is kind of cool, but you're paying five mana to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, this just seems like too expensive and too specific to be really useful or even interesting. The art's kind of cool. I like this mystical kind of warrior looking guy. He's got kind of, he looks like he's in a Kung Fu movie or something. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's got this bubble around him. Kind of nice. And then there's like a, it looks like a a Kami is trying to laser its way through the bubble. I like that the Kami is really small. It makes his magic look not very impressive. (laughs) Yeah. This little butterfly who's like got a laser. He's trying to crack into the, the vault. If for just the low price of three mana, you too can be safe from marauding butterflies. <laughs> yeah, this card, I don't know why I had this as a meh. It makes me question my own judgment. This, this seems like a pretty clear cut. The fact that it's three mana, like at one mana, I think this would be fine. Yeah. Ugh. Um, there's a great yeah. gatherer comment where someone says, has a bunch of mean things to say and then closes with saying, what a piece of shark. 
I think is a way to get past the censors. Uh, and in one of the weird little wonderful gatherer moments, the following six comments are all other people noticing this piece of shark comment and repeating it. And I like that. Um, this is a piece of shark. Let's cut it. It is a piece of shark. Boom. All right. Next up, we have Floating Dream Zubera. This is one and a U for a one, two Zubera spirit. When this dies, draw a card for each Zubera that died this turn. So we said we're going to hold on a full discussion of the Zubera sort of theme deck uh, for a mini episode that's probably coming up uh, right after this one. Um, but I felt like we should talk about this card just on its own merits because I, I think it's pretty decent. Um, so essentially what we have here, assuming you have no other Zubera, is a two mana one two uh, that draws you a card when it dies. And I think that's basically fine on its own. Like that seems totally solid is just a, particularly with the blue deck wanting to stall out the aggressive white deck in the early game. I feel pretty happy about this card. Yeah, I think that's pretty solid and you know, it, it's a spirit. So you're getting spirit crap value and soul shift if you're in another color. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I think this is perfectly fine. And like two mana for a one, two body is a perfectly good rate. I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not amazing, you know. Like one two isn't gonna. Um, I don't know, I'm thinking like, what do you want to stonewall? You know, the thing that I think it's most important to stonewall is the aggressive white creatures, and this doesn't do that super well. You know, it gets run over by any bear, it gets run over even by a devoted retainer or Isamaru. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, I feel like its fate more often is to just kind of chump and die, but that's not the end of the world either. Yeah, I mean, that's really not. No, like not terrible. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're doing it multiple times, you say where like maybe you trigger spirit craft with it and then it dies and then it gets soul shifted back and then it gets to trigger spirit craft again. And, you know, you're doing a thing at that point. Yeah, you could do worse. Uh, I agree. What do you think of the art here? I think the art on this is uh, is kind of fun. I think it's pretty good. Um, you know, I've I've talked about super symmetrical art before, which of mm. course this one is, but it's not it's not completely symmetrical. You know, the little kind of flames floating around uh, the Zubera are not in perfect symmetry. There's sort of some flowing water type stuff above its head. So I, I like it. It's sort of in this sitting in like this meditative position almost. Yeah, it's also looking like uh, this is one of the rare cards in the set by a Japanese artist, uh, Shishi Zaru. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, looks like he or she did... Just 26 cards, and it looks like many of them were in Champ in Kamigawa, maybe like two-thirds when Kamigawa, and then a decent number in Ravnica, and then that was kind of it. So oh. in and out. Oh, and one or two in Time Spiral Block. Anyway, yeah, I think we can talk more about like whether there's a full Zubera tribal deck, but I think, you know, as far as how to rate this outside of that, I think it's I think it's probably around a meh. I think the impact on the board just isn't quite there to go any higher, but I think it's a meh that we get two of two in of, maybe. I think so. Yeah. All right, let's do two, and if we need to dial it up or down, depending on how ambitious we get with the uh, Zubera deck, we do that. All right. Okay, moving into Gifts Ungiven. Three U for an instant. Search your library for four cards with different names and reveal them. Target opponent chooses two of those cards. Put the chosen cards into your graveyard and the rest into your hand. Then shuffle your library. Now, I know Austin is much more passionate about this card and effects like this card than I am. So I'm going to pass the baton to him. I love effects like this card, Connor. I know. 
Yeah, so this is this is like a successor to factor fiction, right? Except it's actually in some ways even better than factor fiction. Uh, I don't know that it's better in R cube where we don't have combo potential, but um, this has had a huge impact on eternal formats. Um, I think this might be, this is like definitely the blue card from the set. And I think it might be like the blue card for like several blocks. Um, I can't think of another card that's been as powerful as this for quite a long time. Because uh, we haven't said this yet, surprisingly, but this is deep in the era where Wizards was punishing blue. Um, so blue was the best color at the start of Magic. It stayed pretty darn good for a while. And then starting around the printing of Psychotog, after that, uh, Wizards decided it was time to um, take blue down a notch. And so from Onslaught Block onward till, I, I don't even know, at least Remand, blue was just terrible. And then there's a few exceptions, like Gifts Ungiven. So why is this so good? Uh, it's good because it's basically a four mana instant speed tutor that gets you two cards instead of uh, one card, which uh, Diabolic Tutor is already a fine card in a lot of formats like EDH. Uh, and this is basically Diabolic Tutor at instant speed in blue that gets two cards. The downside of only getting the two your opponent chooses is barely a downside because you get to choose what's in the initial pile. And um, like Factor Fiction, it's really hard for your opponent to set this up in a way that doesn't leave you up to very relevant cards. Yeah. Yeah, it's a. I I have to say, I do not like effects like this. I'm not saying gifts is a bad card. I'm not saying factor fiction is a bad card. But I just find these effects very annoying to play against. And part of the reason for that is because Austin loves him so much. I am often on the receiving end of these cards, and having to basically look at two piles, knowing that with either of them, my opponent is probably just fine with the result. <laughs> I'm sort of seeing my doom come at me in a way that I usually can't do very much about. Uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of not a not a great feeling to have this played against you. Yeah, it, it isn't, which is why I like it. Yeah, this uh, I, I do have, I think, too much of a soft spot for these cards. I mean, honestly, I could be in like mono red aggro and open one of these pack three and I'd be tempted to pivot into blue because I love these cards so much. Beyond that, Gifts Ungiven is just an iconic card that absolutely should be in the, clue as an, in the cube as an auto-include. For sure. It's it's pretty strange that it's never been reprinted. Yeah, you want to talk... I have more to say about power, but you want to talk about that? It, it is kind of weird that this has never been in a standard set again. Yeah. I mean, I don't have that much to say about it not being reprinted, but it is such an iconic and powerful effect, and it has been such an iconic card in a lot of formats. It's It's strange that it's never been reprinted. And on top of that, it's... It's one of the it's one of the few Kamigawa cards that's not super Kamigawa-ish aside from the art. You know, the name is setting neutral. It's not an arcane spell. Uh it could really be like reprinted with the same art or with different art in pretty much any set. So it's just kind of strange to me that it's never been brought back. Yeah, I don't know if it's just a little too good for standard. I don't know of this being dominant or anything in standard, so I'm not exactly sure why why it's never seen a reprint. It, uh, incidentally, on the name, I do think this is one of the great magic card names of all time. Um, it kind of sticks in your head in this sort of, you know, it's almost like a Zen koan. You know, it's got this like contradictory quality to it in the name that I think sticks in your brain uh, and is hard to forget. I, I really love how the the name and the effect of this card like match the art so perfectly. So the art is, uh, it's almost all blue. Uh, it's this very like, yeah. melancholic, setting that's being created and it's i i think a, a soratami just kind of lounging on the floor looking at these four little statuettes and trying to choose some of them and to me what like the story that this art is telling is that 
she is looking at these four little figures and deciding which two of them to give away and which two to keep for herself. Uh, And the gifts that she's keeping for herself are the ones that are ungiven. Yeah, it's so good. I really, really love the art for this card. And there's like this tradition now of blue um, card draw type spells or choosing type spells with on the nose art, right? Like cryptic command and the other commands, you know, do this art where it's like, you get uh, whatever it is, three or four choices. And here's four flo- floating jars to symbolize that. Or, you know, uh, there's like various printings of uh, brainstorm that do this or like other, you know, kind of choose this many or draw this many things that have a similar thing. I wonder if Gifts Ungiven is the first example of that. Hmm. Uh, we haven't really talked much about competitive play. Um, I don't actually know what this did in standard. I do know that in vintage, this card was format defining and format warping. Uh, it was ultimately restricted uh, in May 2007 and stayed restricted for about seven years, which is a pretty long run uh, in vintage standards. Uh, until then, it was format defining um, in a bunch of gifts decks. Two of the most notable were Mean Deck Gifts, which is my favorite um, deck name or one of my favorite deck names of all time. Uh, and Brass Man Gifts, uh, and that just makes me happy. I I think this has basically been banned in EDH since it was printed because it uh, just utterly breaks the spirit of EDH and that it gives you, um, in a format that's already singleton, it gives you a choice of two of the best cards in your deck, uh, which is really, really good. Yeah. How good is it in the cube? I don't know. The cards aren't as good in our cube, right? They're not going to be anywhere near as good. But I still feel like it's going to be pretty good. Like... I think we want blue to be able to play at instant speed, right? That's what blue is supposed to do. This set does its best to prevent it by having many of the decent blue cards be sorceries. But still, I think we want blue to try. And this is a great, like Factor Fiction, this is a great thing to do on your opponent's end step that just makes them groan and go like, oh no, am I ever getting back into this game? Yeah. Do we want one? Do we want two? I think it's one. I think it's a prized treasure, right? That you have to prioritize. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's say one. And I'm... I rated this playable, but I'm willing to go up to auto-include. Let's call it an auto-include. If we cut this, I'm not playing the cube. Oh, we're not cutting it, but... <laughs> you just wanted to hold back for that best rating just to just tweak my bit. nose? Let's talk about Graceful Adept. This is uh, this is no gifts ungiven. A 2 and a U for a 1-3 human wizard. You have no maximum hand size. So it's a she's a spellbook. She's a living spellbook, which... Uh, okay, so first, that's cute from a design perspective. She's a wizard that does the spellbook effect. That's great. I think as a card, she's like fine. She's a three mana one three. That could be worse. The effect is kind of relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be good in saviors where you want a big hand. Yeah. Just wait for it. Yeah. I th- I think we I think we keep this in. I rated it a build around just because there is an archetype coming where you want to have a lot of cards in hand and you're sort of rewarded for it yeah that's what i was going to ask because i know there is an archetype or actually the entire set of saviors is built around that and i feel like uh there's still i don't know how many of those are going to make the final grade because they're almost all bad yeah and i don't i don't even know how much graceful adept matters to that because i don't think any of those cards and saviors really require you to exceed the default maximum hand size or reward you for doing that she's She's fine with a zombie, right? Yeah, yeah. You drop one or two of these waiting for your zombie to come down. Now they can block, sort of. They can block a little better than a zombie can, you know? Yeah, and and deal one damage, which a zombie can't. Right. Boy, that is brutal. Why, why couldn't they give a zombie just just even make her like one an power. 0-4? Just something. Give her something. Yeah. 
This card is weirdly highly rated on Gatherer. It's like a 3.133 out of 5, which is not extraordinary, but is also pretty good for a card that just doesn't do much. And I think that's because the Spellbook effect has this intoxicating effect on people. You know what I mean? I feel like people just see that and they they get tunnel vision. They're like, oh, I can have as many cards as I want. Like, look at Reliquary Tower and EDH, right? Everyone runs Reliquary Tower. But but this is an EDH also. It's going to be less common to have eight cards in your hand. Well, and I think the difference between this and Reliquary Tower is, you know, Reliquary Tower, you're still getting mana and it's a land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the cost is lower. The cost is a little bit lower than this. It's a little bit harder to get rid of. Well, we haven't gotten through blue yet, but I'll just say how many other blue three drops are there that can just sit there and like, I almost feel like this is, <laughs> it just occupies a spot on the curve and we need it for that reason. Yeah. I had this as a one X, but I almost feel like it's a two X. Like I think we'll, I feel like we'll tune it, but I feel like we just need a few of them just to fill, fill the curve and give us some wizards. Yeah, let's have two of these for now. What do we want to call it in the meantime, rating wise? I feel like it's a Mac because I just don't think I feel like you're not realistically building around this thing because it's not worth it. Yeah, that's true. I'm just checking. There are ten blue three drops. Uh, in the block, there are several that are better, and there are some that are coming up that are, well, Callous Deceiver is one, so <laughs> there's really nine, um, and some of the others are possibly even worse. So yeah, I feel like there's some room. Okay, well, that, that sounds like exactly exactly a meh. Uh, what do you think of the uh, art on this thing before we move on? I really dig this art, and I actually think that might be part of the the reason it has the high gatherer rating. I think mm-hmm. people are just sort of biased by this cool art. So the the adept, she really looks more like a ninja from her her pose and or a circus performer, or maybe a circus performer if you're if you're a cynic. <laughs> but I I think she looks really cool. Like it's it's a little more. This art is not a little more, a lot more anime looking than most of the art in this set, mm-hmm. and looks like it would fit right in in Neon Dynasty. Yeah, no, I think you're underselling it, if anything. It's like incredibly painterly. Like the it 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 I would say it's anime looking, but it's got this like intense level of detail and but also kind of a watercolor organic quality to the mm-hmm. background. And there's just there's a lot of technical skill on display here with the um rings of light or energy coming out from her and the blending of multiple layers of background. I mean, this is a really technically accomplished piece. It's really cool. Yeah. Really dynamic pose and Cool costume, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. Circus is too hard. I don't mean like a clown. I mean harsh. like a acrobat, like a cool circus yeah, performer. Yeah, okay. All right. I could kind of see it. Probably the coolest looking wizard that we're going to see here. Yeah, I think you're right on that one. Right in if you disagree. Excellent. Two. Meh. Two at meh. Our next card is Guardian of Solitude. One U for a one two spirit. Whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, target creature gains flying until end of turn. I rated this as playable because I think it's maybe okay. Like just like we were saying with Graceful Adept, like a, a three drop one three could, could be worse in Kamigawa. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think a two drop one two with uh, the ability to give things flying later on is pretty decent in mm-hmm. this set. You know, this is cheap enough at two mana that you could like get it out in play before the thing that you actually want to give flying to, or you can give this flying. If you, you know, play a spirit or arcane spell on turn three, you can give the guardian itself flying. So there's some options there. Um, So I think this is pretty playable by Kamigawa standards. 
Hmm. I I found it hard to go all the way to playable here, just because that seems like a lot for a two mana one two. But I like Graceful Adept. This is a glue card, and I think you're right that it's a better glue card because like first two is better than three. You know, getting something down onto. Uh, we talked a lot last uh, episode about the white weenie deck, and I do think we're we're likely to end up with a problem where the white weenie deck just seems better to me, certainly than what we've seen so far from blue. And so something that can act as an early game roadblock does seem important. And this can help slow things down a little bit. Uh, I I almost wish it was a 2-1 instead of a 1-2 so it could trade with something. This really can't. But yeah, I think it does enough, probably. Yeah. Uh, I think the art here is gorgeous. Uh, I love that it's... I love the spooky central spirit figure with its freaky face and the sort of yellow mini spirits flying around it. I like that it takes place in, you know, Manamo or it's in that giant waterfall. It makes me wonder how big Manamo, the Manamo waterfall is, because I can't see Manamo anywhere here. So is it like the Grand Canyon of waterfalls? That's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree on the art. It's it's very cool and, and spooky and kind of melancholy. Yeah, I had these at two, but that fe- or one, but I feel like you're right. It's more like a two or maybe even a three X. I feel like this is just a glue card, both to to slow down the aggro deck and also just to make the spirits deck have something to do on two. Yeah. Should we do three then? Yeah, I think we should go three. All right. Uh, before we move on, actually, one other note on the art, or more on Kamigawa world design broadly. I feel like these early multi-planes of magic had a larger feeling world than today's planes. And I know this is a common complaint mm. where people call it, what do they call it? World of hats. And they complain about it tomorrow incessantly that, you know, the, like planes like Amonkhet just feel like a city with mummies and Egyptian stereotypes and nothing else. And I don't I don't mind that as much as a lot of people. I think that's fine. But there is something about Kamigawa's world or Mirrodin's world that feels really, truly expansive. Like there's multiple climates, there's lots of locations. You have the sense that it's it's like Earth. It's big and diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that occurred to me with Guardian of Solitude, except maybe that I started thinking about the Grand Canyon. But I, I do feel like the world of Kamigawa feels really large in a way that I like. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. I do like that all these cards feel like they're part of an earth-sized place and it, it kind of makes it makes the story and the flavor feel more kind of impactful and epic mm-hmm. as well when you kind of you know you can imagine these things happening in a world like ours all right so we should we call it a 3x meh yeah i think so all right let's talk about hinder hinder is one uu for an instant counter target spell if it's countered this way put that card on the top or bottom of its owner's library instead of in that player's graveyard uh, three mana counterspells, in my opinion, are awkward. They, you know, uh, Wizards has often said that the ideal uh, mana cost for counterspell would be two and a half mana. Two mana for the original counterspell is a little too good. It's a little too brutal. It makes it too easy to um, slow down your opponents and just grind them into dust. Three mana is a little too much. It often comes in too late. You're often spending as much mana to cast the counterspell as your opponent did to play the threat in the first place. That said, as far as upsides on a three-mana counter go, this is a very real upside. Putting it in their deck is way better than putting it in their graveyard. Particularly in this set, there's a lot of graveyard synergies coming up. It's pretty relevant to be able to do that. Putting it on top can be really brutal, you know, as a way to stall them or slow them down. So I think this card is probably fine to include. Yeah, I really like the kind of the flexibility here of either essentially getting rid of a card permanently uh, by countering it instead of, you know, for example, sending a countering a creature and then sending it to your opponent's graveyard where they may not be that unhappy to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like that, you know, you can kind of use it to troll your opponent a little bit if they're playing a spell that is really expensive or that is not that good. You can put it right back on top of their deck, force them to draw that again. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So I like the flexibility of this. And like three mana for that seems... I'm I'm honestly surprised this doesn't cost four mana. Kamigawa. <laughs> like this. Three mana seems reasonable for this card in this era. It's kind of funny this has never been reprinted. It's kind of like Reciprocate in the last, uh, in the white set of like, it feels like they gave this an evergreen name, you know, like yeah. Remand or something where they intended it to be in, in multiple sets and it just never showed up again. And I suspect it just wasn't quite as good as they hoped. Because like hinder that you know they don't use the one word verb names lightly, right? I feel like they they try to save those for something like shock that can really be evergreen. But hinder has never shown up uh, in any standard legal set or really even reprint sets outside double masters. I feel like there's just I don't I don't know if there was just a, a, a fear of Kamigawa in in Wizards after they, <laughs> they can't reprint it. anything from it. Well, if you scroll through, you know we've got a, a spreadsheet here that we use to kind of look through all the cards and keep track of everything. And one of the columns in that spreadsheet is reprints, just kind of keeping track of when the card was reprinted, whether it was reprinted. And just scrolling through our spreadsheet here, almost none of these cards have ever been reprinted. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of that is because they're very flavor-specific or they, you know, have very parasitic mechanics that only belong in Kamigawa. But this is one that could be reprinted in anything with, you know, some different art. And it just... Never has been. And I feel like there's, to me, that suggests there's this this fear in Wizards, <laughs> or at least there was until Neon Dynasty, to like come back to Kamigawa or even to really acknowledge its existence by bringing cards back from it. Yeah, I think it's three things. I think it's the parasitic nature. I think it's um, the fact that the set was such a failure. And I do think it's the power level of like a lot of these cards just, uh, we'll find out as we play with Hinder more, but I suspect this card just doesn't, doesn't do it on rate. But I, I am really surprised this has never just shown up randomly in a corset or something. Yeah. I also want to say I hate I don't I don't hate this art, but the the woman in this art, um, there's like this awkward pose that a lot of women find themselves in in this era of magic, where she's like bent way forward with her hips way out, uh, and then her head upturned. Um, and I think generally the purpose of that is to showcase uh, the woman's uh, figure, uh, which was much more of a thing in this era of magic than today. Uh, thankfully, they've much they've really moved away from that style of art. In this case, I don't think it's particularly to make her sexy. I think it's maybe to make it dynamic. Um, but you can see an example of this with Armadillo Cloak uh, by Wayne Reynolds. Um, it's the exact same pose, same artist. Ridic- ridiculous cleavage, push-up bra uh, art. And I just like this art uh, really irritates me just because of that pose. I find it really awkward. Like, I just I struggle to imagine any human adopting this pose for any length of time. It looks pretty painful. It does it right. Like she's not braced. She's not in a strong position. She's just kind of like leaning forward with her legs close together. Like, it's just an awkward position. But I think what bothers me about it is it's not so much the leaning forward. It's the fact that her legs are also apparently coming forward. So she's sort of in like a C shape. Yeah, she's like a left angle bracket. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> how is she standing? How yeah, is she looks she like stable? she's going to fall on her butt any moment. <laughs> yeah, or like she's in the process of falling on her butt, which doesn't really... Is she being hindered? She, I think she's doing I think the she's hindering. the hinderer. So why is she falling on her butt? Yeah. Um, what I don't like about this art, other than the legs, is this fire that yes. she's sucking into a pot. So she's, you know, she's leaning forward. She's holding this urn or pot or something, and there's a bunch of fire that I guess is being sucked into it. Yeah, it's trying to do the force of will thing, but it's not. This is no force of will, Rain, Wayne Reynolds. No, this fire just looks bad. Honestly, uh, the, Wayne Reynolds has a lot of art throughout Magic, and actually in a lot of the Dungeons and Dragons books as well. 
hmm. a lot of the a lot of the pieces in the monster oh, manual. It does have a three point five D and D look to it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Go if if you have any of these books still kicking around, go back and look through them. They are full of Wayne Reynolds art, oh, and I can't yes. say I'm that much of a fan of most of it. There's just something about his style with these like really kind of over accentuated shadows and high saturation yeah really really high saturation weird poses uh i'm just not a huge fan of him yeah you just try to sorry wait he does have a few decent pieces i'm gonna i'm gonna briefly list decent wayne reynolds pieces before i go back to dunking on this art because um i feel like i should a johnny vengeant great art ashling the pilgrim great art goblin sharpshooter with the hammer where it's going to hit the guy with the hammer. That's very funny. So he, he has some good ones and going back to why I don't like this art. Yeah. And the other thing about uh, anatomically is it's not just the pose, like her arms, if I really look at them might be different lengths and also appear to be like four feet long. Um, and that also is frustrating. What, one thing I do like about this art, actually, the one thing I will say for it is I like that the fire is going into the jar because it connects mechanically to what the card is doing. You know, it's like, it's containing the fire temporarily, but it's going to perhaps come back out of the jar. So that that's kind of nice. That's cute. I suppose. <laughs> Not even willing to give him that one. I think we've said enough about Hinder. All right. It's hindering fine. my enjoyment of this. Okay. How many should we include? I think, I think two. Two. Is it, is it what, uh, actually, no, I'm not quite done. Are there any other counter spells? I feel like there's not a lot of counter spells in this set. No, there aren't. Uh, the next card that we're talking about does have some countering. Oh, please. Abilities, and then there's another counter right after that. Yeah. Okay. So no, so there's a little bit of counter, answer. but it's not really uh, I wouldn't call it an archetype. Okay. Two of them. Next card, Hisoka Minamo Sensei, two UU for a legendary human wizard. One, three. Uh, with this ability, pay 2U and discard a card to counter target spell if it has the same converted mana cost as the discarded card. There's a lot to dislike <laughs> about this card. Um, I'm going to start with the 1-3 stat line on a 4-mana double-designated card. Uh, on top of that, you spend 3-mana and get rid of another card from your hand to counter a spell, but only... If the spell you're countering matches the cost of the spell you're discarding. You can't even discard lands. So, ugh. boy, I, I don't even know what to say about how how bad and like frustrating this card is. It's real. Well, yeah, it's really bad. So this guy only uh, helms 32 decks on EDH rec. I honestly don't know why he gets that many. It's It's too many. I can't believe it's that many. It's too many. He's only in 152 cubes. Like this card sucks. Like, so... You're paying, we already talked about three mana counter spells. Like three mana counter spells are barely good. This basically turns any card in your deck into a three mana counter spell, except by definition, you cannot get true mana advantage out of this card because you have to discard a card as good as the one your opponent is playing. And like one of the advantages of counter spells is getting a mana, building mana advantage. You know, you spend three and you counter five. I mean, it's not exactly like that because you still spent three, but you're you're getting rid of cards of equal quality. So you're not doing the thing where you're like, starting to cut a crew advantage against your opponent such that you can later take away take over the game because if they have a five drop you need a five drop and you have to throw away your five like ah this card is just terrible i mean it's it's an interesting ability theoretically and it's it's like it feels like exactly the kind of ability that should be on a terrible kamigawa rare yeah it really does it feels feels right in the pocket doesn't it it does but it's just so bad like like that's a really good point that you brought up and on top of that you kind of just need to like get lucky 
you know, you need to happen to have that five mana card to discard to counter your opponent's five mana spell. And if you don't, Hisoka's just sitting there doing nothing. And now that you say that, it's actually even worse because you have to hold up mana and you have to hold up your cards. So if I have a five mana proactive play, I need to hold back my five mana proactive play in the hope my opponent chooses to play a five mana card and then I can discard. And it would be have been better for me to just resolve my five mana spell. And it's not like I can, again, eke out mana advantage because I need to sink a whole three into this. Like I get why there's a mana cost staple to this. If there wasn't, I think it could be a little too annoying. But having it be two or one or just something that like, it just gives you some ability to get leverage out of it, but there's just nothing. And then as you said, as you said, like the stat line, again, even by Kamigawa standards, like Hisoka can't do anything. If he was a one four, if he just, if he had some ability to affect the board, uh, but he doesn't, he just doesn't. Now that we're seeing yet another like low stat creature in blue, I feel like it, it almost feels intentional that, most of the creatures in blue are just really, really weak stat-wise. You know, we saw a zombie being a 0-2. We've got Hisoka being a 1-3. We've got a lot of other weak cards coming up. And it feels like there was almost a conscious decision maybe to have, like, blue be the color of wizards and moonfolk and sort of, like, not physically large or powerful creatures, but sort of tricksy creatures that don't have a lot of power and toughness. And I wonder how much of that was like a flavor thing. Like they're supposed, you know, their power comes from their abilities and their magic and not from just raw power and toughness. I think it was totally intentional. I mean, that's part of blue's color pie, right? Is that it gets, it gets the worst creatures generally. I think the problem is it, you know, as you say, it's supposed to be made up for with Trixie abilities. And because this is Kamigawa and because blue is being kind of actively punished at this era of magic, like, the Trixie abilities just are not getting there. They're not, they're not good Trixie abilities. Yeah. Uh, it feels like an insta-cut. I agree. I do want to say just one more, one more slap before we move on. I really, really hate this art. It's like, if you look closely at it, you know, it's, it's just Hisoka, who's an elderly wizard standing in front of a waterfall. And it looks like it's trying to be as photorealistic as possible. And it just looks really awkward and like out of place the face is really like technically very very well done it's like it a photo too real it looks like a photo so it looks like a photo of a guy was just sort of pasted on top of a painting and it's really really off-putting and really does not match up in my opinion at all with the rest of the art in this set which is you know very fanciful very strange and uh almost alien and then you've got like just some guy in some blue ropes. Yeah, it's a pity because the, so the artist here is uh, Donato Giancola. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, who does a lot of photorealistic art and some of them really work. Like I think cartographer from Odyssey is sometimes called the greatest painting in the history of magic because it is photorealistic and yet painterly and perfectly executed. But this card just somehow doesn't have that same quality. As you said, it does kind of look like a photo glued on top of a painting and that, the other thing is the painting is kind of like, I don't know. I feel kind of sleepy looking at it. Like it's not bad, but it's not, it's also not interesting. It doesn't really tell a story or it's just kind of, it's just boring. Yeah. I mean, it's the background is entirely water. It's a waterfall. Yeah. Just all water. Which is appropriate for the lore. I think he's supposed to be, you know, the, the headmaster of, uh, Manamo. Is that the name of the school? Manamo. I think, but I, think so. I don't know. Instacut. Yeah. 
All right, next card, also with Hisoka in the name. We got Hisoka got three cards in Magic, and they're all in a row. Hisoka's Defiance, one and a U for an instant. Counter, target, spirit, or arcane spell. Uh, I think this card is terrible. I think it's terrible because you don't know what your opponent is playing, uh, and therefore it's too risky to include in your main deck. But I see you have it rated a little higher, so let's uh, let's debate that. So I call this playable, I think mostly because it's a two-mana counter, like just a hard counter of a spirit or arcane spell. I rated it playable, but I, I feel like it's probably more like meh. I don't think it's an insta-cut because hmm. it is a hard counter at two mana of a spirit or arcane spell, of which we've seen many and we'll see many more. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this is going to be sitting in your hand for all that long compared to many other cards of Kamigawa. And if we get to, if in blue you are getting to a long, grindy game, which I think is kind of the goal in blue in this set. We believe so. We're still trying to figure out what you do when you get there, but it's definitely where you're trying to go. (laughs) We'll figure out a plan for when you get to 12 mana, eventually. It's the owl! (laughs) (laughs) So this, I think this kind of helps you maybe get there. Like, I think there's a decent chance that your opponent's going to play some Spirit or Arcane spell. some point, they'll step into your trap. At some point, they will activate your trap card. You'll play Hisoka's Defiance. You'll counter it. But now that I'm kind of saying all this, I'm realizing the Spirit or Arcane spell that they play that you're countering is probably not that good anyway. <laughs> well, that's that's true across the board. So maybe you don't care about countering it that much. I mean, I'm fine including one or two of these just to see if my judgment is wrong. Uh, this is one of the lowest rated cards on the set on Gatherer. It's almost as low rated as Callus Deceiver. Some of that might be the art. I think the art here is terrible. Uh, Hisoka looks very different in this card than in the other one. And here he looks kind of goofy. I don't know. We, we can call it a met too. I think it'll be fine or it won't and we'll throw it out of the cube later. I guess two of? It just it feels like a card there should be two of, not just one. That way two of them can clog the end of the pack. Two, should we call it meh? Yeah. It's meat in the middle. Meh in the middle. Meh in the middle. All right. Two meh. All right. Yet another Hisoka card. Hisoka's guard. Last one. We promise. Last one. One you, one one, human wizard. You may choose not to untap Hisoka's guard during your untap step. And you can pay one you and tap. As long as Hisoka's guard remains tapped, target creature you control other than Hisoka's guard can't be the target of spells or abilities. Just to sum this up for everybody, this is a four mana, two turn shroud effect on a a one one. You can move it around, though. (laughs) This is so bad. Yeah, the viewer can't see me, but as Connor was reading, I literally buried my face in in my hands because this card is just it's so bad. Why do I have to pay two and tap him? The fact that I'm paying two mana for a 1-1 one, one is already punishment enough that I should be able to just tap him to give a thing shroud. You know, like, I feel like that... I, I, why do I have to invest even more mana into this thing? Yeah. What were we? What were they worried about? I know. And uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of a way to, like, make this card redeemable or interesting or useful in any way like what could be changed well if he was a 2-1 or a 1-3 or something i feel like he could he could have some prayer he could at least gum up the ground yeah maybe maybe if he was a 2-1 then he could trade but like you don't necessarily want him to trade because his you know he's supposed to be doing this guarding and giving well you do want him to trade so you don't have to look at it anymore you know so he doesn't have to be alive anymore. you don't have to have it on your board your opponent will stop laughing at you speaking of looking at it i don't like this art either. Uh, I've talked about the like super symmetrical art that appears on some of the cards in this it is set. Very aggressively symmetrical. This guy, this guard, 
is extremely symmetrical. His pose, basically from the waist up, pose, the uh, clothes, the the way that, like, he looks like, uh, the, sort of his silhouette looks like a clip art drawing of a dove, is how <laughs> I would describe it. <laughs> Like, like just the, okay. the dove that everybody is picturing. If you just like Google clip art dove or just sort of the image of a dove. I, I don't know that I have a mental image of clip art dove and I'm not sure it's this, but go okay, ahead. Okay. A bird, <laughs> you know, like a dove with an olive branch in its mouth or something, or just a bird. I think he looks, I think he looks like, you know, those, uh, when you learn to make origami, one of the first things you learn to make is a samurai helmet that's flat and it's very disappointing. He looks like that flat origami samurai helmet. You know, it's funny you say that because he's also wearing that on his head. Yeah, he's like a fractal samurai helmet man. Yeah, this is just everything about this card is upsetting. And I mean, the background's kind of nice in the art, but yeah, the background's actually quite pretty. He looks just so derpy and it's just such an awkward, stiff pose. Is he holding that pose? So he's holding for people who are looking at it. He's holding his hands kind of like at chest height, kind of tucked in, I guess, magically creating an orb that's somehow protecting another creature. Uh, and the fact that he can't, he doesn't have to untap, is he just holding his hands like that? Because that would get tired. This guy must have extraordinary arm strength. Well, he's he's guarding Hisoka. Hisoka dies sort of without uh, any resistance in the novel to Hidetsugu. And I think it's because his guard was just as terrible as he was. Uh, well, I mean, uh, it looks like from the art, his guard was nowhere near him. He's just kind of out, yeah, right. out in the woods. <laughs> He's like a mile, literally a full mile away from Benamo based on this. Art. Yeah. This uh, ability, you may choose not to untap this during your untap step, um, has appeared on 43 cards in Magic. I did the math. I don't know why. So 37 of those 43 cards were printed before Hisoka's guard. Five afterward. So in the first third of Magic's history, they printed 38 of these guys. And then in the remaining two thirds, they printed five. And the reason is because it's terrible. It feels like I'm playing accounting or something. Like making choices is fun. Like cryptic command where you go, do I want to draw cards or do I want to counter spells? Like that's a fun kind of choice. This somehow just feels like an unfun choice. Like I want to untap my things. That feels like table stakes. So being able to choose not to untap, it doesn't feel like even though I've gained flexibility, it doesn't feel like it. You know what I mean? It almost feels like I've I've lost something by this this terrible ability. It, it's like you've you've played this creature. I guess in this case, it's not that much work to play this two mana creature, but you've gone to the trouble of playing this creature, and then all they're they're not going to fight. They're not going to do anything cool or interesting. All they're going to do is sit there and then tap, and stay tapped, and that's how you get the value out of them. And yeah, it just doesn't seem fun. I guess the reason he has the mana on him is because if it was just two mana and then tap. That would basically be like fizzle target spell that targets your creature for the whole game, which might actually be too mean. So maybe he does need the remain tapped thing in order to stay somewhat relevant because otherwise you'd have to hold two up. Like maybe it is a gift. I guess it is a gift that he can stay tapped, but I just, I don't know. It's a gift I'd rather stay ungiven. I, I think we cut Hisoka's guard. All right, Hisoka's guard will be an ungiven gift. Insta-cut. Also the first time... And the last time Hisoka's guard appears in the same sentence as Gifts Ungiven. Do you think there's ever been a gifts pile that included Hisoka's guard oh, in it? No. Just mono blue, <laughs> like the worst mono blue draft deck. Someone someone pulls Gifts Ungiven and they're like, yes. And then they don't get a single other card that's worth finding with gifts. I mean, that could be us. That could be you, listeners, with this cube. But unfortunately, you won't be seeing Hisoka's guard. Yeah. All right. Whew.
All right, let's talk about Honden of Seeing Winds, a much more fun card. Honden of Seeing Winds is four in a U for a legendary enchantment, Shrine. At the beginning of your upkeep, draw a card for each shrine you control. I love the shrines. This one is no exception. I don't even care if they're good. I want to include them in the cube. I want multiple copies of each of them in the cube because they are extremely fun. Uh, and that is, that's really the essence of my position on Honden of Seeing Winds. I can get behind that. I do want to have a lot of Honden in, and I think you're right that we should have three copies of this, probably just three copies of all the Honden so that we maximize the chances of them popping up. So it should be in, but I'm realizing, especially with this Honden, how slow these are. Like this is a five mana card where you're you're waiting another turn before you get any value out of it because the effect triggers at the beginning of your upkeep. So you play this on turn five or later and you don't get to draw that card until the next turn. You know, hopefully by this point, you've got a few other Honden up and you're able to get multiple cards out of Honden of Seeing Winds. And obviously, you know, being able to draw two or more cards every single upkeep with this and one other shrine seems amazing. Like these are slow cards. Yeah, I mean, we did say that Azami is fine on her own and she is not triple, des- this is not triple designated blue. So I feel like if she met the floor, like Honden of Seeing Winds definitely meets the floor. But I agree, they are super slow. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, what do you think is the most powerful Honden? I originally thought it was maybe... So I think the best one is the red one, right? The one that deals damage um, because it can affect the board and it only costs three mana. I'm not sure what the second best one is. I feel like it's either this one or maybe the green one that makes 1-1 spirits. I feel like drawing cards is pretty pretty good, albeit slow. Yeah. What what does the black Honden do? Yeah. So let's just run through all the effects. Uh, So the white one gains you two life. The blue one draws you cards. The black one has your opponent discard cards. The red one deals damage to any target. And the green one makes one ones. My feeling is the black one is pretty clearly the worst because by the time you have a Honden army online, I think it's really just not that relevant to force your opponent to discard cards. Mm -hmm. I think this one's pretty good. It's definitely inevitability. Like even just having this and no other Honden in your deck, I think it's, you're, you're feeling pretty inevitable to me out of that. I mean, if if this is part of the Honden, a Honden deck, and you've also got Infinite Rage up and maybe Cleansing Fire, then it's a slow game. It's a slow clock that you're setting up, but it is a clock. It is potentially a win. And I, I feel like having Honden of Seeing Winds and any of the others other than Knight's Reach like gives you something, some kind of end game to be working toward, which is not something you can say about most of the cards in this set. I want to briefly talk about the flavor. So are the flavor text. So all of these Hondans have a flavor text that begins to the sorrow of all. Um, and so this one is to the sorrow of all its winds found sin in the hearts of those who once learned from its wisdom. And I really dislike that. Uh, and the reason is because I don't understand it. Um, I don't understand how this is finding sin. It kind of implies that it's hurting the mortals in some way, which it's not. It's just drawing cards. Like, I don't really, I don't get it. It feels like it should be to the sorrow of all the kami were able to draw many cards or something. <laughs> now that's, that's much Or better. gain much wisdom, you know? It, it's confusing to me. Just sort of the, the flavor of the story of the Hanan is a little bit hard to figure out, especially with this to the sorrow of all, you know? You get that, like, these are legendary enchantments, so you... You know, there's a very clear sense that these are important shrines and like important locations in the world of Kamigawa, but it's not really clear like 
what is happening with story of these or why having a lot of them does good stuff for you. While we're reading Honda and flavor text though, I'm looking back at Honda of cleansing fire, which we talked about last episode. Yes. It's terrible. Remind the reader what it does before you read the flavor text, what the effect is. So Honda of cleansing fire is at the beginning of your upkeep, you gain two life for each shrine you control flavor text to the sorrow of all its fire was turned toward those who worshiped it. What? Now, does that sound like life gain to you? It makes no sense. I don't understand it at all. No sense. That, like that should be on Honda of Infinite Rage, which actually says something very similar to the sorrow of all. Its rage became focused on those who once stoked it. Like basically the same thing, but like they couldn't come up with anything sorrowful that involves life gain. And, and also why, why is it called cleansing fire? What about gaining life is a cleansing fire? Like it, it, it's totally... I mean, it's like they didn't even reread it before they, like, why didn't they call, what would you call it? I don't know, like Honden of Immortality, or I guess they have to be of Thing Thing, right? Honden of Infinite Life Gain. Yeah, all the Honden names and art actually match the Myogen. Holy cow. The corresponding cause. Oh, and that's why they got stuck with it. I see. Exactly. So you've got Honden of Cleansing Fire matched with Myogen of Cleansing Mm. Fire, and the Myogen makes sense because that's, it's a board wipe. It's destroying its board clear. It's cleansing the board. Obviously, you know, you can have a board clear on Honden. <laughs> yeah, you don't want at the beginning of your upkeep, destroy a creature for each shrine you control. Destroy all creatures or destroy a creature for each shrine you control. Yeah. Um, so I guess they just went with light gain. I mean, I guess I get the name in that case, but I still feel like they could have found some way to, to make the flavor text make any sense with the effect. Right. Okay, bringing, reeling it back to the Honden itself so we said we're gonna have three of the white one in do we just want to put three of these in to start and we tune the total numbers later does that make them too easy i I think we don't know yet maybe yeah i i feel like we go with three okay all right so next up we've got jushi apprentice there's another flip card one you for a one two human wizard uh he has an activated ability two you and tap to draw a card if you have nine or more cards in hand flip jushi apprentice and he flips into Tomoya the Revealer, uh, who's a 2-3 wizard, big buff there, uh, with this activated ability, 3-U-U, tap, target player draws X cards, where X is the number of cards in your hand. This guy was a kind of a struggle for me to rate, because um, I, I feel like his activated ability when he's unflipped, when he's just the apprentice, is like actually pretty good in Kamigawa, like just having a three-mana draw a card every turn with how grindy these games could be like that seems pretty decent and maybe not as good after you flip <laughs> but yeah i kind of weirdly felt like flipping him like i don't know you're gonna be drawing almost too many cards it's a lot more mana like i think he might be better unflipped which you know maybe that's fine because you need nine cards in your hand so <laughs> like you need the juicy apprentice and you need to be at max hand size and then you need to somehow draw one more so the risk of flipping is low. I felt like he's he's playable just as an unflipped apprentice, and maybe you don't want him to flip. Yeah, I felt like he's the he's the first flip card I've seen where I'm like, yeah, put this guy in. He'll do work. I'd throw him in pretty much any blue deck and feel pretty good about it. You know, like the contrast with... So there was the one white flip card that we discarded instantly, the horrible cleric uh, Kitsune one, Kitsune Mystic. But then there was also Bushi Tenderfoot, who got a lot of love from the audience, but is just... He requires a lot of work to be put into him. And that's not true for uh, Jushi Apprentice. Jushi Apprentice just does just does the work on his own. You know, he goes well with, like one of the problems we were seeing with 
uh, Bushi Tenderfoot is that there's just not that many cards that can really buff him up and like put him in a position where he can flip. Uh, but Jushi Apprentice, there are, you know, there's a ton of card draw in blue in this set. So he, yeah. he can set it up yeah. himself, uh, which Bushi Tenderfoot obviously can't. And there are, you know, just so many cards in blue that can also get you to that flip state if you really want it. It makes me wonder in uh, in Saviors, you know, where there's the hand size matters theme, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. least favorite theme. I wonder if like blue, one of a sub, the sub themes we build in for blue is like actually leaning into the hand size matters because there is a lot of cards. There's almost too much. Like I was looking at, you know, Tomoya almost draws too many cards and I just realized he can force your opponent to draw cards. So mm. there is a teeny bit of mill potential there. That's interesting. But, you know, the Honden, for example, I just realized now re-looking at it, you know, it's not an optional trigger. You can you can draw yourself out and die to it. <laughs> there is a lot of card draw in blue. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to see in Saviors whether there's anything that has enough payoff for the big hand. I'm not sure that there is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure either. Actually, just going through and looking at all these blue cards, that was something that really struck me is, like, obviously, card draw is a big part of blue's color identity. But there's just so much card draw in blue. And I just kept thinking, I can draw so many cards. And if they are also blue cards, I don't even want to draw them because they're (laughs) going to suck so much. Like, what am I looking for with all this card draw? I guess the idea is just you, I don't know, eventually you bury your opponent in mediocre cards, but you still, you know, if you have two things for every one of theirs, you're going to get a dub. I don't know. How do you feel about the art here? I really dislike it. It's just kind of, it's kind of ugly. Just not, I don't like looking yeah, at it. Yeah, I mean, I really feel very little about it. And that's true of most of the flip cards, I feel like. like Just the fact that yeah. you're cramming two pieces of art into what's already a smaller chunk of the card than in the normal printing. Um, Like, there's not that much space to work with. And this is just, like, it just looks really muddy, especially the Tomoya side. Like, it's it's hard to tell like to make out any features here and what you can make out isn't really that interesting. So I don't really feel anything about yeah, it. Yeah. Even then I think like, uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a few that are fine. Like I think Bushi Tenderfoot is fine. Um, we're coming up later on Aki Lava Runner, who's hilarious and great because all the Aki are great. I don't know. I, I think this is one of the weaker pieces. I agree with that. So how many, so we, I think we both have them at playable. I had two copies in, which uh, largely because I feel like we need curve fillers uh, lower in the curve, but I could see one or two. Uh, three seems like overkill. I don't think we want grinding to be that easy. Yeah, I said one just because of how, you know, kind of unique it is and it's a rare. Not that that really matters that much, but um, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, feel, I'm, I guess we can start with two and then cut it to one if there's just, you know, depending on how much card draw we end up having in blue, we'll probably just need to cut some of it across the board at some point yeah i think that well and blue is also mana intensive we'll talk about that more in a bit with the Soratami. but blue blue is greedy for mana and has plenty of card draw so you may be right that you know i actually kind of want to have one of these because i feel like you should work for this guy a little more in the draft I, I i like one well he's the apprentice so he should work for us but i i feel like in kamigawa we're working for them oh, it's so true that's it's the vassal's duty Let's move on to Kami of Twisted Reflection. Uh, amazing name. Kami of Twisted Reflection is one UU for a 2-2 spirit. And you can sack it to return target creature you control to its owner's hand. <laughs> uh, 
this, reading this card is a roller coaster because uh, I don't, it's hard not to compare it to Mana War, right? Mana War classic goes all the way back to Visions in '96. Two U, two two, one did ETBs bounce target creature. That's a classic limited card. It's never OP. It's always good. It's a fun tempo play. And this thing is all I can think looking at it is that it's not Mana War. Like you have to sack it, and it can only bounce your own things, and it costs double designated. Like what were they thinking with this Th- card? Really, everything is wrong with it. Like maybe if it was. 2U instead of 1UU. Yeah, I mean, even there, there's not really anything. <laughs> like, that'd be better. But it's like, it's like they, there was some concept that they had for this card and then it was just nerfed into oblivion. And we ended up with this, this shattered remnant that the art reflects really well. Just a twisted reflection of, of Mana War. Of Mana War, yeah. Yeah, I was, I did start thinking, is there like a spirit craft synergy here that I'm missing? But even then, I don't think like, recurring well we've already talked there's not really etb triggers in the set much so bouncing your own thing is not that good i guess it could kind of save something for removal at the cost of another thing it could maybe put a myogen back in your hand (laughs) once you've used a divinity counter so you can spend 10 more mana on it Uh uh-huh and then another spirit could get this guy back to do it again Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh yeah that's as far as i've gotten with that one what do you have this at? I have it at meh, but I'm not, I may be being too I kind. I mean, I just called this an insta-cut. I, I guess we need three mana two twos in in an abstract sense. Well, yeah. I think we need three mana spirits is the other challenge. Yeah, I, so do we keep this guy How much in? competition does this guy have? CMC equals three. From what I'm seeing blue. in blue, at least, is just from scrolling through, his competition is River Kaijin. Kira, the great glass spinner later on. Oh, and Callous Deceiver. Oh, oh well, this uh-huh. makes it look so good. <laughs> I know. It seems <laughs> like he might stay? have a place. <laughs> just, just because he's a 2-2? So one of the weird things I'm noticing about blue is that it's the arcane color, but it's really not the spirit color. There's relatively few spirit creatures, and they're not very good. And there are some really good mortal creatures, like the Soratami I'm pretty high on, not to spoil things. So it's kind of a is a funny uh, tension there in blue. And actually, I'm I'm noticing. I don't know how true this is in Betrayers and Saviors, but actually, no, none of the blue cards have Soul Shift. Oh, you're right. Well, it was yeah, it was like a green, black, white ability, wasn't it? Yeah, those sort of like playing with life and death sort of colors. So blue, oh, cut it. Let's cut him then. If we don't even have Soul Shift in blue, like yeah, you can't even Soul Shift this guy back if you're pure blue so not without a lot of work um do you want to talk about the art i i heard you nod at it um, earlier yeah boy it's do you not want to or is it too traumatic it's grody but i i guess i don't mind that so we're the setting is minamo as always uh so you've got waterfalls in the background some buildings a 10-story statue that i don't think appears yeah, in any other like card a samurai so he seems a little out of place but the kami is in the foreground and i don't know how to describe it except as sort of a, a mass of human parts, severed flesh, and yeah. legs, and twisted hands, and an eyeball, and half a finger, a jawbone, maybe, or just just as gross, like twisted. You know, kind of imagine a twisted, broken reflection of the human form, I guess, with sort of a crab shell on the bottom. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's just gross, like. Super and it, there are there are several kami like this in the set where it's just like they it feels like the goal was to make them kind of as repulsive 
as possible. And this one really hits the mark. I'm normally fine with that, but yeah, this one, this one takes it a little far. Let's just cut it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to play with it. Get him gone. Let's cut it. Take us to a a slightly more exciting spirit. Yeah. I don't think we're going to cut this one. This is Kega the Tide Star. 5U for a 5-5 legendary dragon spirit with flying. And when Kega is put into a graveyard from play, when it dies, gain control of target creature. Mm. So this is our second spirit dragon or dragon spirit. A beautiful one, a cool one, fantastic art, powerful ability, great dragon, definite auto include. Uh, I don't know if it's quite the best dragon, but it might be the best one for my money. The ability to take any creature permanently with just no, you know, it's not a control magic, right? You can't remove the effect. Like once Kega takes takes your opponent's thing, that's it. You just have it. Uh, that is that is some serious, like bolted on card advantage. Uh, the power here is is really extraordinary. And I I know that Kokusho, the black dragon spirit, is the most kind of the most popular one. It's the most valuable one for a long time. Um, but I wonder how much of his popularity comes from the power and commander of you know each opponent losing five life from kokusho dying like kega feels just in a one-on-one game like especially if you're on turn six or later like chances are you'll get some pretty good value out of this yeah what's the most popular in cube cobra it looks like kokusho always also takes the pip there so kokusho's in 2150 cubes kega's in 1581 yosei in 1187 Ryusei, the red one in nine one eight, and Jugon in seven twenty nine. So he's he's pretty close second to Kakusho, uh, who's also amazing. I mean, they're all amazing. Um, but I don't know. For my money, Kega might be just a tad better. You know, the fact that he only costs one designated mana is insane. Um, but you know, I would splash this guy in a deck with no other blue. Almost, he's that powerful. And it, it is interesting how like this this really highlights how this block is just you know full of mostly bad weak cards and then just this handful of like really powerful or in this case just like really solid cards that feel so out of place with the rest of the set and so out of balance with them so some of them are double and some of them are triple but he's single oh are they who's triple so let's see so double is uh so first ryusei the red one and kega are single designated Yosei, the white one, and Kokusho are double designated. And then poor Jugon, the rising star in green, is triple designated. That must be why Jugon doesn't get the love. Thinking, yeah, I'm thinking so, because his effect is also solid, although he, he's no he's no Kega. Um, I was curious, can he be soul shifted back? And yes, he can. There are three spirits with soul shift six, so all of the dragons can be soul shifted. And oh, and there's a couple soul shift seven. So yeah, it is realistic to recur these, which is even more crazy. <laughs> Nice. Uh, this might have my favorite art of any of the dragons too. I just love the way the kind of ribbon along his sides just makes him look more aquatic. He's kind of got a sea snake thing going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He looks really cool. Really gigantic. I don't know. Easy auto include. I don't see yeah. a scenario in which uh, this doesn't make it in. For sure. Okay. Let's go to a, another card that, um, that, that includes flying in its text. Lifted by clouds to you for an instant arcane. Target creature gains flying until end of turn. Splice onto arcane, one U. So we have to divide this discussion in half because the art merits a full dissection. But before we get to the art, please pull up the art. 
I think this card is mesh. Like, I don't think it's great. I don't know that it's even good. I don't understand why it costs three mana. Like an alpha, this effect cost one mana and it was stone cold unplayable. Here it costs three. <laughs> the fact that you could splice it, I think just doesn't matter in this case. Like the only argument I can see for including this is that so many of the other spliceable effects, particularly in blue, are basically like draw a card or bounce a thing. So this at least gives some variety, I guess. But I don't know if anyone would want to include it. It's just so expensive. And especially in blue, if you are playing multiple colors and you can give some like big red or green creature flying with this, and especially if you can splice it and do it again, that could be pretty nice. But in blue, so many of the creatures have flying already. Like every single... yeah. Soratami, every single Moonfolk card has flying by default. I bet almost every blue card we've given a good rating to has flying. I bet you're right. Kega <laughs> has flying. Uh, a lot of the good spirits have flying. Yeah, I'm scrolling. Almost every other one actually has flying. So yeah, you're right. The, the utility is limited. Everyone's already in the clouds. No one needs That's to be right. lifted by them anymore. Okay, so I think that makes an insta-cut. So the art. So uh, we're in the sky. There's like a sea of cotton candy, pink, white clouds. And then standing on a cloud in the foreground is a blue beetle, ox, lion, monster man, or monster thing. I think man is the only thing he isn't. Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Um, it's, it's really hard to quite be sure of scale here, but my sense is that he's the size of like a, a building. And despite being horrif- objectively horrifying, he's really cute. I, he's like this cute little blue beetle ox monster. Uh, and he looks kind of confused, but maybe a little bit happy to be up in the sky. It's just, it's it's adorable and ridiculous. I love, I absolutely love this art. Yeah, I felt like he's like kind of, kind of angry, kind of cute. This six-legged yeah. little spirit beast just riding on this tiny little pink fluffy cloud. I love that the cloud he's riding on is like just barely big <laughs> so enough. So small. That's maybe what makes him cute, look cute, right? Yeah, it's like he's just barely fitting on this tiny little cloud that's lifting him up. His head... Now that I'm looking at it, it almost looks like a like a beholder from Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Like he kind of has some ice. But he's got like a lion's mane behind yeah, a that. Lion's mane. Fantastic art. The little cloud point is a good one because it's kind of like the effect is kind of like when a cat on YouTube tries to get into a very small box. Yes. That's yes. how I feel about this guy. Yes. He's the cat. Yeah, I just I love this art. It's hilarious. This is a card. I must have opened it back in the day. It's a common and I bought a lot of champions and I have no memory of it, which like shows just how weak the effect is that this art somehow didn't imprint despite being uh, wonderful. I think I have some of these kicking around, so maybe I'll send you one. Yeah, well, actually, you don't need to because I was so inspired by this that I bought uh, like six foil copies and uh, the first three lucky listeners to write in and ask. Um, if you're in the US, I will mail you a foil copy of Lifted by Clouds. And I'm not kidding. Email us clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com. That's great value. That's great value. Yeah, but it's an insta cut. You will get Lifted by Clouds if you write in, but uh, we will not have it in the cube. No, alas. Which is why I have copies to spare. Okay. Our next card, pretty exciting one Meloku the Clouded Mirror for you for a 2 4 legendary Moonfolk Wizard with flying uh, and this activated ability. One colorless mana and return a land you control to its owner's hand to put a one one blue illusion creature token with flying into play this i think this is our first moon folk so that's exciting they all have flying like i mentioned they all bounce a land back to your hand activated ability to trigger something they all have bunny ears they all have bunny ears though they're kind of subtle on 
Maloku. And this is probably the the coolest, most impactful of those land bounce abilities we're going to see. Uh, yeah. Just get blue flying illusions um, for one mana at instant speed if you want. Yeah, this is a cube all-star. It's uh, the second most cubed blue card in the set behind uh, Gifts Ungiven, which is, of course, stiff competition. This is in 2,800 cubes, which is a, a pretty significant number. Yeah, I uh, I rated this guy playable, but I'm I think I want to bump it up to auto include. So I'm thinking through the possibilities. I think the power here is to I mean, first the body is actually not bad by Kamigawa standards. Like a two four flyer is I mean it's not amazing, but it's it's solid. He's gonna block. He can hold down the ground and the sky. Um, he can chip in a little bit. So I feel like the body is already decent. And then particularly in the late game, just being able to turn out one spirit a turn and then kind of on a whim potentially like put down five spirits or illusions in an emergency is uh that seems really powerful that's i think one of the really interesting things about the all of the soratami really is just that you know none of them uh have tap as part of the cost of this yeah activated ability so there's really you know the only limit on your use of it is your mana and your number of land which of course go hand in hand and in this case, you know, I think the the threat of activation is so real. You know, you can't, you know, for example, like late game, essentially you're, it's almost like a Hornet Queen. You know, you're just threatening hmm. this huge amount of onboard uh, damage kind of at any time. Like you play this on, you know, with six mana up the next turn, you could be swinging in with eight power of flyers, which like in Kamigawa is... Uh, is there anything that compares to that on rate? I'm actually almost scared of uh, Maloku now, which I might be, I might be hyping myself up too much, but he really can uh, put a huge amount of power on the board very easily. Yeah. I think we gotta, we gotta put him in and see how he does. Um, I also really like the art. I love the use of color. It's almost force of will-ish in the kind of blues and oranges. Um, but in a subtle way, you know, it's not like hinder from earlier in the set where it's just too contrasty and too intense. Like there's some really nice, subtle, very dark earth tone almost colors here that I, I really appreciate. And this uh, this background that he's standing in front of, you know, sort of looks like a kind of a mural or a, a painting. Um, like it's it's unclear what exactly he's standing in front of and it creates this really cool mystical effect. Great card. Uh, easy auto include, I think. Yeah. Great. All right, let's talk about uh, another blue legend, Myogen of Seeing Winds. Seven, you, 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 yes, 10 mana for a 3-3 three, three spirit. Um, oh. uh, he enters with a divinity counter, indestructible, as long as he has a divinity counter. Uh, and you can remove the divinity counter to draw a card for each permanent you control. So the standard Biogen things, and in this case, drawing a card for each permanent, which includes lands. It's a lot of land cards, but boy, howdy, a 10 mana 3-3, three, three, almost no matter what's stapled to it, is it just hurts. Like, just the idea of that hurts. I honestly don't care how many cards you draw off this. <laughs> a 10 mana 3-3, three, three, that is that is too far, Kamigawa. Yeah. It just hurts me. He doesn't even have flying. It, it hurts on all the Myogen to me, but it really hurts on the blue one. Like, he's blatantly flying in the art, and he's blue. He's, he's, for three For 10 mana, he can fly. It's fine. Let him fly. I rated it's an insta cut because I like no matter how big that payoff is, and it is going to be big if you take that divinity counter off and draw half your deck. But you get a three three, and what are you going to do with all those cards? Are you going just flip Jushi Apprentice? Like what's the <laughs> what's the payoff? Yeah, well, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Is that um, 
you know, normally, like, so I think about the role of Gristlebrand, say, in Vintage Cube. A Gristlebrand is sort of similar, um, obviously better, but, you know, similar kind of thing of you can basically draw your deck. But the thing about Vintage Cube is you can then go play those cards, right? You have um, fast <laughs> mana, you have lots of cheap spells, you have very powerful effects, you have game-ending combos, which just aren't a feature of Kamigawa limited formats. Right. And so I think drawing 10 cards isn't that much better than drawing five or even three because you're just so gated by the cost of your spells. I just, and 10 mana, you're not getting to 10 mana in blue, I think, like full stop. There's not ramp in this set. It's just uh, you. And just the impact of the spells too, you know, like even if you have the, like if, you've, if you're able to play the Myogen, you've got some mana available the the impact of the spells and even of the creatures that you're able to play out of all those cards you've drawn is just for the most part going to be pretty low so even with all of this card draw you know this isn't in a lot of cases i don't think going to be like a game ending play for you to draw all of these cards they're individually they're less powerful from a tempo perspective your ability to like triple spell well i guess if you have 10 mana maybe it isn't that limited but like you're not that able to just chain a bunch of things together in subsequent turns, and you're going to have to discard to hand size, almost certainly, Yeah, uh, as well. I rated this a meh as kind of a sop to you because I assumed you had a sentimental desire to see all the myogen in, but I I see you have a lower rating even than meh. Yeah, I said Instacut on this. Just a 10 mana 3-3 three, three feels insulting. I agree. I, I'm insulted. I oh, Hold on. I'm not insulted by this art. We should briefly clarify. All these myogen arts are great. This one is no exception. It's got a real kind of anime, like horror feel to me. It feels like something from a kind of some kind of ghost hunting manga or something. It's really, yeah. he, he really did a good job of, it's still in a Western style. It's still recognizably Kev Walker style. And yet it, it somehow looks more Japanese to me than other stuff in the set. I can't quite put my finger on why. Yeah, I get what you're going at. Maybe it's the three katanas. Yeah, I like the three katanas. Each of those gives him one power. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> <laughs> totally right. That's... Maybe he was originally a five-five, and then the art came in. And they're like, "Nope, three-three. Nope. I I only see three swords here. Sorry, Maya Jen. I I'm sorry too. I I want them all to be in, but he just can't. He just he can't make the grade. All right, let's see if this next one makes the grade. We've got Mystic Restraints two UU for uh, an enchantment aura enchants a creature. You can play Mystic Restraints anytime. You can play an instant, so that's just flash. Uh, when it comes into play, tap Enchanted Creature, and Enchanted Creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So you basically uh, freeze a creature at instant speed for four mana, two UU. Yeah. And I was just struck by this, like, wow, is this is so bad compared to something more modern like Oblivion Ring. Like, the the flash part is nice here, I guess, but you're paying a lot of mana, not even to exile something for a while not to get rid of it you're just tapping it if it has an activated ability it can still use that i guess your opponent can uh, use that self bounce card that kami of twisted reflection to bring it back it to their hand and throw off the restraints but yeah this is just a, a hefty price to pay for tapping something down completely agree you know normally this effect costs three in blue you know and i guess having flash takes some of the sting away there. It's a bit of a bummer that, yeah, as you said, it doesn't turn off activated abilities or anything else. Like the classic effects like this, Claustrophobia, Frozen Solid, Charmed Sleep, like there's a bunch of them. They're almost all three mana. Although I see even in Ixalan, they printed Castaway's Despair, which is this exact effect without flash for four mana. Hmm. 
one less designated. I'm not saying that makes this good, but this has actually been printed at four mana in a surprise, like at least two or three times besides this. My feeling on this is this may, I think it's pretty poor. As always, blue doesn't get removal, right? So like anything mm. is something you're a little bit grateful for. And I think the flash is nice because it blue wants to play at instant speed, right? You've got um, gifts ungiven. You've got, technically you've got counter spells, I guess. You've got the Soratami. So the fact this lets you play at instant speed is nice. There's no other comparable effect, I think, in the set. Like I think as far as blue remo removal goes, I think this is it. I don't think there's anything else. You may be right. Maybe we are being too harsh. Maybe blue needs this. I, I think our thinking here has been unnecessarily restrained. I know it's not appalling. Um, I, I had this as a meh one X. I'm almost ready to be generous and call it a meh two X. Cause I feel like blue wants some tool, some of this kind of tool, particularly cause the counter spells in the set are, um, I think make this look good. You know, meh two X is what I went with. So I guess I'll, uh, I'll stick with that. Yeah, I think you you get the you get the dub on that one. I'm always looking for the dub. <laughs> Every episode. All right, let's go to Part the Veil 3U for an instant arcane. It's a rare. I don't normally say that, but I will here. Return all creatures you control to their owner's hand. There's a puzzle going on in this set, which is there's all kinds of things that want to return your creatures to your hand. But there's no payoff that I can find in the set. There's not discard synergy there's not etb effects like why why are so many things letting me return my creatures to my hand i don't understand it this is so you can throw all the mystic restraints off of your creatures you part the veil and free them uh -huh. from the restraints uh-huh that would be a good canon play like good flavor win for sure since the mystic restraint is is uh, kind of mortal affiliated there you go this doesn't make the grade I don't yeah. see why you'd want to do that. I mean, I guess it can save your creatures from a wrath, sort of, although you still have to recast them all, which isn't great. Yeah, there was a surprising amount of, I wouldn't say, quite say love for this card on Gatherer, but more like for it than I would have expected. And people seem to just see it as a good way to save your stuff from wrath. But I mean, think how long it's going to take to get all that back in. And the only wrath you're saving from is the Myogen of Cleansing Fire. Yeah, that feels like the the hold the line, you know, fantasy of like there's certain cards that you just picture the best case scenario right. and how great it is. And I think this is another one where, yeah, you can construct scenarios where you look like a genius for holding this card in your deck. But I think they're most of the time it just sits in your hand and rots for the whole game. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think with hold the line, you know, at least if you like if you have a creature on the board, you can do something with it. Right. Yeah. This is like what what is the situation that you're using this for other than just like a purely reactive hoping to save your guys from a board wipe? It's pretty much wrath, right? Because like pinpoint removal, you wouldn't want to use this most of the time because you're bouncing all your creatures. Um yeah. it's not really impressive in combat because you know it doesn't let you win the combat. Wait, hold on, hold on. We haven't talked about damage on the stack much in these reviews yet, but with damage on the stack, this is a little better, right? You're you set up a big big combat, you put the damage on the stack, you bounce all your creatures, and then your opponent's creatures die to the damage. I'm not sure that makes it good enough, but I just wanted hmm. to bring it up because it makes me feel clever for noticing it. Yeah. I mean, that could have been maybe part of the design thinking, since damage was on the stack. 
in our cube philosophy episode, I think we need to talk about damage on the stack, but I'm, I'm a strong partisan that we need to do it. Cause I feel like there's so many cards in the set that depend on it. Yeah. I heartily agree. I'm not putting part the veil in either way, to be clear. No, <laughs> we both saw the same gatherer comment on this card. Do you want to read it? Yeah. So shield man, uh, noted that part the veil, uh, combos with one with nothing. Uh, which is a spell from Saviors. Uh, pay one black mana to discard your hand. Yeah. So you part the veil, put everything uh, in your hand, and then uh, one with nothing and discard all of them. Yeah. And, uh, one with nothing. I don't know if it's, I think it's still a little bit of a meme, but in the mid 2000s, it was like the meme card, kind of like Stormcrow today or something of like, this is the dumbest card. It does nothing. It's almost impossible to construct a scenario with the does. So I do it where it does do something. I like I like pairing this terrible card with that terrible card. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think we can cut this thing. I think so. Okay, this next one's probably going to be a trickier decision. We've got Peer Through Depths. One you for an instant arcane. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Kind of a, a sort of scry type ability or the kind of ability you might see in green to look for a creature or a land. But in this case, you're looking for an instant or sorcery and then put everything else on the bottom of your library. Um, I felt like this was a pretty decent blue spell at instant speed, but I was also struggling to think of the instant or sorcery I would be looking for or hoping for with this within Kimigawa. Yeah, I struggled with this too. Um we kind of need to put it in, in my view, because of something we'll be talking about in a little bit. Yep. With uh, three, uh, there's a four, three card combo that involves this card. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's funny because I feel like in constructed, I'm more excited about this. But in limited, I don't know what's the maximum instance or sorceries you're running, like eight, ten. Like let's say it's ten and it's twenty five percent of your deck. Uh, I can't do the math kind of in my head, but you have a really good chance of whiffing if twenty five percent of your deck is instance and sorceries, which would be a lot. And if this whiffs, like, who does that hurt? And as you're saying, it's it's got this, it's got the eerie procession problem of like, but are you, what if this had just been the instant or sorcery that you, you were going to put in, right. right? Like, it would be the same, basically. It would be another two to two to four mana instant or sorcery, and you wouldn't have had to tack two mana on to find it. Like, I, this doesn't really give you card selection, I feel like, most of the time, right? Like, it looks like it let, gives you a choice, but most of the time you're going to find a thing. Mm -hmm. So you're not, you're not really getting that, that tutoring card selection advantage. Right. You're just kind of hoping that there's some kind of instant or sorcery in there. And then you've just, you know, paid two man and a card for a little bit of hope. And when it whiffs, like, ow, that really is going to hurt. You spent two mana to discard a card. Yeah. And it's, it's also a bit of a bummer that the cards you reveal that are not the instant or sorcery you want they don't go to your graveyard they go to the bottom of the library That's which true. you know works exactly against the sort of soul shifting that you might be hoping for in a spirit and arcane kind of oriented deck that's a great point uh you're not thinning your deck uh you're not like enabling any kind of graveyard recursion type stuff if you're in black Hmm. I feel like the more we talk about this, the more I'm like, oh boy. I, so the reason we want to cram this in is there's three instants and sorceries in this deck. They're called that are in the set that are called Peer Through Depths, Reach Through Mists, and Sift Through Sands. And if you resolve all three in the same turn, you fetch out of your deck and onto the battlefield a creature called the Unspeakable. Um, and I won't read him. I don't want to spoil it. We'll talk about him and the others uh, instant and sorceries uh, a little later on. So I want this in here because I, I think that's adorable. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. Like this, 
uh, it's just not a very good card, I <laughs> think, fundamentally, except that it lets me do another not very good thing and getting uh, the unspeakable. Yeah, I actually rated this playable, and the more we talk about it, the more I'm not sure why I did that, <laughs> because I just don't know, like, other than getting the unspeakable, I don't know what the big payoff is from this card. I feel like maybe if we land it meh with two copies for now. Yeah, somehow it feels like two. I don't know why. Like, one feels too stingy on this. I think in part because, like, if you're going to have the instant and sorcery deck, you need a ton of them. And I guess mm-hmm. you need peer through depths to find, find more peer through depths. It, yeah. it does It does help you with the peer through depths, reach through mist, sift through sands thing, right? Yeah, um, yeah that's interesting. You can it helps you hopefully find get the next card. In the and combo. it is arcane, so you can splice stuff onto it, uh, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's, this is a, I feel like this is one that's going to be really tough. Like, once we play with it, I think we'll know instantly, like, oh, yeah. this is way better than I thought, or, oh, wow, this really is terrible. I'm leaning toward med, though. And I, do, I feel like two copies is right, just to maximize the chances of the unspeakable. Yes. We're going to warp the cube around the unspeakable. <laughs> yeah, that's... All of blue is going to be built around pulling the unspeakable. So just wait for another player to hate draft that. After you've, after you've gotten... After you've gathered all of these instants... Someone else is going to take the unspeakable. Oh, I think this is a meh, too. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Petals of Insight. Four and a U for a sorcery arcane. Look at the top three cards of your library. You may put those cards on the bottom of your library in any order. If you do, return Petals of Insight to its owner's hand. Otherwise, draw three cards. This is a really weird one. It is kind of card selection in a recursive way. It's just unbelievably slow. I, I don't know. I find it oddly appealing. There's something about the extreme grindiness of it, the way it suggests combinations with other arcane spells and with splice. Like it seems fun to re- resolve, even though I, it can't be that good. Like even drawing three for five is not amazing. And this ability to like, reject those three and try your luck again is also not amazing, but somehow the combination is sort of intriguing. It is an interesting card and an unusual effect. I like, I want to have it in just to see how it plays. And like, if games actually get grindy enough that this can become a huge pain for your opponent, but like five mana is a whole lot to pay. If you choose option a here, which is to, you know, put the cards on the bottom of your library. Uh, then you've just spent five mana to look at three cards and do nothing. Yeah, we've talked about grindiness a lot, and this is absolutely a grindy format, but you know, one of the problems with this card is where it does its grinding. So like uh, the Soul Shift cards grind on the battlefield. Right. This has, you know, obviously no board impact and it's a sorcery, so you don't have the kind of like hold mana. It's not a, it's not even a bad factor fiction because mm-hmm. it's sorcery speed. So I, I do think those are pretty significant knocks against it. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like this is a like a one X in part because like I can't imagine a deck that really wants two of these. Like you never want two of these in your hand because they'll keep coming. <laughs> they might keep coming back. Um, but I think one of them is probably fine, and there will be decks that that include it. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, what do you think of the art here? There's a there's quite a lot going on. I find it pretty befuddling, honestly. Yeah. So it shows kind of a very blue looking human holding up some kind of magic like literally blue like he's the color blue like actually like his skin is blue 
like a Navi. He's holding up some kind of magical glyph. He doesn't look like a Navi, but he's holding up this magical glyph or something. And it looks like he's offering it to what must be a Kami uh, that I would describe as basically a big crocodile mouth. Not a crocodile, a crocodile mouth. It's just all maw. It's just it's just all all maw, all mouth, <laughs> kind of mixed with like with a little bit of sliver mixed in there, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's pretty horrifying. So my first question is, who's getting the insight here? Is the Kami bestowing wisdom on the blue human? Oh, look, he's got the glyphs in his mouth, too. Is he is he ingesting the glyphs from the... Is he ingesting them or is he barfing them out? Is this is this mortal guy a traitor now that I think about it? Because this is an arcane spell and it has a freaky, freaky spirit. And yet yeah. he seems to be colluding with the enemy. I think we got a traitor on our hands here. Oh, boy. And, you know... Now that you pointed out that the the maw has glyphs in its maw, um, it looks like yeah. there's three of them in total, which would be the three cards that this trader is drawing from the mouth. <laughs> it's just nothing about this looks like I'm choosing cards no. from my deck, though. Like, what is it? I I put the glyphs into the spirit's mouth. No, he gives the. I, now I think he gives the glyphs to you. Okay, and then okay. And then I go, I don't want these. And then he swallows them back up. If you don't like the glyphs. And barfs out new cards for five more mana. You, you give them back along with five <laughs> more mana. And he says, okay, all right, all right. Oh, yeah. What about these ones? And you say, ah, yeah. I'm not really feeling those either. You shove those back up in there. I, I do like, in the background, there's these kind of like weird 2D dragons that sort of don't fit in. Like they, it's hard to, they don't, they don't have any perspective. They're just kind of sitting there. And they kind of look like something you draw on a cocktail napkin or something if you were, you know, a talented artist. And I really like these dragony things. I think they're fun. Yeah, they're kind of cute. Kind of, yeah. They, the one at the yeah. bottom is really cute. Uh, yeah, I don't know. One of them. Yeah, I think one of them at meh. This next one, we've got a little bit of a delta between our ratings here. <laughs> and the art, the art is the art. Sorry, um, the art is just I'm wonderful. Just this is psychic puppetry. One you. For an instant arcane, tap or untap target permanent. And you can splice it for just you. Just one blue mana. I may be just tempted by this one mana splice cost, which uh, is so low compared to what we've seen on most cards. Uh, but I, I felt like this is playable as kind Whoa. of a like cheap little combat trick way to you know get a big creature in past your opponent or stop mm -hmm. an attack you're scared of maybe yeah i had this all the way down at instacut i did waffle yeah i know i, I waffled on it because uh, splice is hard to evaluate um the value of being able to do something multiple the, the virtual card advantage you get actually the not virtual the literal card advantage you get from recursively getting the same effect without losing a card is pretty significant mm -hmm. but the effect here is pretty marginal like tapping or untapping a thing is just rarely that impactful on the game tapping down one creature sometimes that's enough to put your opponent's defenses down but a lot of times it's not surprise untapping your creature you know sometimes that can get you a free block and a got a moment although with the splice you know once you've done it once your opponent knows that it's coming so the value decreases yeah, there that's fair but don't you feel like that that kind of thing is like that seems reasonable for one mana or maybe two if yeah. you're like actually, you know, paying for it. I mean, it's not it's not great. It's not awesome, but like if you're talking about a not that 
great effect that may or may not work. Sometimes like one mana is the right price for that. Well, is it giant growth is one mana? Shock is one mana. Yeah, but this is this is Kamikawa. Yeah, well, I mean, Glacial Ray. Um, yeah, it's funny. So I think if I splice this once, I'm okay with it. You know, if it's like I tap the thing, basically then it's three mana spread, spread across two turns, tap or untap two things. I'm reasonably happy with that. Yeah. If I splice it twice, I'm over the moon. If I don't splice it at all, I'm not pretty sad to have this card in my deck. I would also be sad about that for you. Huh. So what does that net out to? Maybe that, I think you're right. That nets out to more than an Instacut. Yeah. Well, I, I also feel like, and we've, we've gotten some, some comments about this also uh, just with regard to splice cards and arcane generally. Um, I feel like we should sort of err on the side of over inclusion for mm-hmm. splice cards, especially. Especially in blue. Especially in blue, because there really are not that many of them. We talked about this a little bit ago. Um, and it is, you know, part of, part of what we're trying to do here is to highlight some of the kind of strange and unique mechanics for this set. And splice is one of them. And it is mm-hmm. like a cool idea. I I do like this with what, like, candles glow. And what was that white fog that we cut that we might need to go back on? Oh, that was Ethereal Haze. It does play nicely with those as, like, kind of just slow it down, stall your opponent out. Yeah, I think I'm coming around to throwing probably two of these in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hope we're not just in a generous mood tonight. I feel like we're just, we're giving all these arcane cards just a pass. But I think you're right. Yeah, there was just so much bad stuff. What, do you want to go all the way to playable? <sighs> Do you insist no, on playable? I don't know. I don't. I think Matt probably is right because there are going to be a lot of times where this is just kind of nothing. Okay, let's let's throw two in at Matt. Two or three? Two. It's got to be two. Yeah, I think two. Do you want to talk about this art a little bit? Yeah, I absolutely want to talk about the art. So the art is um, when you talk about magic art, you'll sometimes hear the term slush art, which is like art that was intended for one purpose that never got used, and then they have to stick it somewhere later. And there's not a lot of it in Kamigawa, as far as I can tell. I think the reason is because it has such a specific world design and such a specific aesthetic. But this feels kind of like slush arty to me because it's so strange. It's like this kind of sci-fi wizardy guy standing on a, I think like on a planetarium almost. And then he's just being engulfed by this blue octopus jelly creature. Honestly, it's got kind of the whole thing has kind of a Rick and Morty <laughs> vibe to me. Like it's kind of like a you know, adventures in space gone wrong is is the message I get from this art. Just looking at this card, if you took the arcane and the splice part off of it, I would think it was a Simic card from Ravnica. Like the whole oh yes, it right? totally like the whole yes. vibe of it is just like experiment gone wrong in some Simic lab. Yeah, the the ooze has escaped. It's wrapping its tentacles all around this guy. And it's a little funny, like Ravnica cards. Yeah, it's like kind of comical and weird, weird art for this set. It is weird, but I, I don't mind yeah. it. I think it's fun. I, I like yeah. it. Well, we'll be seeing two copies of it. Boom. Okay, let's go to a strange card, Reach Through Mists. So Reach Through Mists is a single U for an instant arcane. Draw a card. So that's it. It's just a blue arcane thing that draws you cards. That's it. I, I think this is like a playable at a decent number of copies. It's not that it's amazing. It's more just the opportunity cost is so low and it's a really, really cheap way to glue your arcane spells together, which I think is one of the challenges the arcane deck has is, you know, some of those things are kind of expensive. And the fact that this is just one and it's instant speed and you can sneak it in anywhere and, you know, worst comes to worst, you just cycle it 
you know, I think this is really solid. Yeah, I think I I mean, I think this is exactly the kind of arcane card that you're hoping for to be able to splice things onto and trigger spirit craft abilities. Um, yeah, and like it, the card basically just says cycle, you know, that's like that's not a bad yeah. thing to be doing. This is like the second of the unspeakable spells. And this card actually has a really cool flavor text that sort of hints at the unspeakable, actually in a not very subtle way. So maybe hints is the wrong word, but uh, it says, no one part of the name, obsession begins. No two parts, paranoia sets in. No three parts, Ooh. madness descends. No all, Ooh. and only the kami know what will become of you. <laughs> Lady Azami said that. but actually. Now that I'm reading it out, it's a little confusing because there are only three parts to this combo. So Hold Madness on. descends at three parts, and then she says, know all. But if you have three parts, don't you know all? Or is the, the unspeakable is part four? Well, isn't it a mate? Isn't it a mate? So the last card, Sift Through Sands, that gets the unspeakable, it's a May trigger. So maybe some people step back from the brink oh, after their madness maybe. and they don't summon the unspeakable. Maybe. And then hopefully they recover. Yeah, I do think uh, Lady Azami is wrong here because the unspeakable is awesome and I want him on my team, just for the record. Well, um, it just says only the Kami know what will become of you, so we don't we don't know what will happen when you summon that. There's also a great gatherer comment I found. It's uh, from a user named Yusagi Yojimbo. Um, and I'm going to read this in sort of a carnival barker type voice. So here we go. I'm so ready for this. <laughs> All right, this is Reach Through Mists. It cantrips. It thins your deck. It's the cheapest arcane card out there. That means it splices too. That's Ooh. right. All that for just one blue mana. Worried about card advantage and board position? Say no more. Yes. Act now and we'll throw in Glacial Ray so you can build your own Electrolyze. But that's not all. Do you love divination but hate tapping out on your own turn? Act now and we'll throw in a free playset of Everminds so you can draw two cards the way we used to. After leaving Whoa. mana open to counter and bounce. But that's not all. In this super what? special one-time offer, if you commit to the total package, that's the reach through mists and peer through depths and okay. sift through sands, okay. we will not only throw in a free The Unspeakable, but we'll let you cast it directly from your library for no additional mana. Oh my God. You can't get value like that anywhere else. So act now. Oh my gosh. Where do I sign? That's the pitch for reach through mists. I'm sold. Let's get three of them in here. Sold. Three of them. We'll buy three. All right. Let's lock it in before someone beats us. We, to it. we have to. <laughs> Listeners do not beat us to this card. <laughs> uh, that's the advantage of being the ones to record it. You know, we can go lock down all the copies of Reach Through Mist. They'll all be gone. All right. Uh, this next one, there will probably still be some of these floating around. Uh, this is <laughs> yes. Reweave 5U for an instant arcane. Target permanence controller sacrifices it. That player reveals cards from the top of his or her library until he or she reveals a card that shares a card type with the sacrifice permanent. The player puts that card into play, then shuffles his or her library. Uh, and you can splice onto arcane for two UU. Yeah, it's like a it's an interesting effect, right? There's some possibilities here. Mm-hmm. It's very expensive, but you can splice it. I struggled to rate this mostly because there's so little, you know, removal in blue. You know, the cost of this is terrible and it's not hard removal, but it gives you something. Yeah, it's a it's a really tough one to evaluate. So yeah, it's basically chaos warp 
and it's repeatable, which is nice. Six mana is tough. So as removal, I mean, I think even in Kamigawa, six mana removal is not great, particularly when a lot of the things you're removing are spirits that could be recurred. Mm-hmm. Um, or like using this on a dragon. Um, <laughs> it's not It's not going to feel very great, good. Um, there's also the suggestion here that you could do it on your own thing and roll the dice on an upgrade, but at six mana, I just, I don't think that's really a thing. Yeah. There is uh, like one, one kind of difference, especially if you're trying to use it, if you're trying to reweave your own permanent, like one Mm -hmm. key difference between this and chaos warp is that, you know, chaos warp will just pull out any permanent. Oh, right. Right. Good point. Reweave will replace something with certainty and you know it'll be the same type of permanent that you... Yeah, you're right. Like, if you use it on an enchantment, actually, it's interesting, because, like, maybe your opponent only has one enchantment. Mm-hmm. Maybe they only have one. Maybe you have two enchantments, and you really want the other one. Maybe you only have two creatures, and one of them is River Kaijin, and the other is the Unspeakable. Hmm. <laughs> There's some possibilities here. Yeah, it's a really it's a really tough card to evaluate. I feel like if it was four mana, I, it would be a slam dunk, and I'd be really excited. It's a really tough thing to want to spend six mana on, though. Oh, actually, another thing I'm noticing, another difference between this and Chaos Warp is this just, you know, this results in the death of the target. Yeah. Uh, which means that it does not avoid death triggers, like especially here, the Dragon Spirits. Yep, the Dragon Spirits, it doesn't prevent spirit craft or soul shift i don't know why i keep calling spirit craft one interesting thing though it does get around the myogen's indestructibility whoa because they're sacrificing it you're not destroying it finally that that cuts through to that 10 mana 3 3 that 10 mana hill giant with indestructible just reweave him hmm well they could just remove the counter in response yeah they could do that oh uh, I, I want to talk about the art because I feel like I, it's almost part of the package for I'm, I'm, I'm so on the fence on this card that I almost want to use the art as a tiebreaker, which uh, spoiler would not be very good <laughs> for this card. So this card, this has to be slush art. Like this guy does not look Kamigawa at all. His clothes don't, he doesn't, he's got devil horns on him for some reason, which I don't think anybody in Kamigawa has. And then it's just like, it's just like this guy, this yellow guy, in a blue robe against a yellow background. There's no context. Like this is just, it's just terrible. And his, his arm is like, it looks like he's turning into a werewolf maybe. Yeah. He is turning into a werewolf, which again, there's no werewolves in Kamigawa. Those come later. Totally think this is just some weird slush art. It looks like maybe something left over from Onslaught. Oh, it does. Cause he's all, he's so, bulgy. yeah, he's so veiny and Ugh, well, do we want this? In? <laughs> I don't, I mean, I think the only argument for it is that it's a unique effect. But, you know, this is a block with plenty of weirdness. I think we can get unique effects that are more fun, more interesting. Like, Petals of Insight is unique and also not very good. But I like Petals of Insight more. And it's arcane. And it's arcane. This is arcane. Oh, this is arcane, too. All right. Well, let's just get... I'm tired of talking about it. (laughs) Get rid of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's abandon our analysis. Let's just cut it. Let's move on. All right, let's talk about everybody's iconic favorite from Champions of Kamigawa, River Kaijin. Two and a U for a 1-4 spirit. That's it. We're done. I want to go to bat for the River Kaijin. Step up. Thank you. He is a uh, totally vanilla, boring creature, and I think that's fine. Like, this era of magic is full of vanilla creatures 
not every card needs a bunch of abilities and a bunch of sneaky stuff he can do with activated and triggers and all this stuff. He's just there. He's got a big butt. He'll lock it down. He'll let you stall for enough time to go do your sneaky stuff you're going to finish the game with. It's just an honest guy with some crazy art. I, I, I like him. That was that was a, a very passionate plea for the River Kaijin. I respect it. He's been good to me. He's he's a close he's a close personal friend, and he gets a lot that he doesn't deserve. I mean, he looks he looks like he'd be anybody's friend. You, know? you want to <laughs> yeah, you want to so... describe him a little bit? Uh, yeah, I I wrote down a description actually in advance for this because I knew I would struggle. You just wrote friend to all. Yeah, friend to all. Okay, so he's a friend to all, and as we all know, some of our closest friends look like an orc from an early Warcraft game, <laughs> crossed with a centipede, uh-huh. crossed with a fish. With a really long tail and tentacles all over. Mm. That's him. And floating corals around his body. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like most of my friends. <laughs> sounds like yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what you and I have in co- you that know as brothers. Much sums it up. Like, that's how people know they know us by like, You look just tentacles. like your brother. <laughs> you, <laughs> you have the same long. You have the same forty foot long body with <laughs> distended <laughs> orc green, face, green green skin. <laughs> And uh, kind of tusky, tusk-like mouth. I st- I still don't know how they do it. How how do they know? <laughs> yeah, I I like the kaijin. I I think he's got a place. Yeah, I think he's fine. Uh, I think two of them belong in the cube. I think it's totally a glue card that we dial up and down depending just how many you know big butt three drops we need in blue. Yeah, yeah. but I'm not dialing him down below one. Okay, all right, all right. Thanks, two of them. Thanks for letting me include him. Okay, our final piece of the unspeakable combo sift through sands one uu for an instant arcane draw two cards then discard a card here's what you've all been waiting for if you played a spell named peer through depths and a spell named reach through mists this turn you may search your library for a card named the unspeakable put it into play then shuffle your library whoa whoa well first i wish we'd thought of calling it the unspeakable combo when we started reviewing these because that's awesome that would have streamlined things a little bit. Uh, so there's two bits here, right? One is the unspeakable combo thing we keep nodding at, and I want to keep punting. Uh, the other is the effect, and the effect is it's not impressive. You know, so you compare it to chart, of course, which is one in a U, sorcery, draw two, discard. Unless you attacked, then you don't have to discard. And uh, it's hard to come away feeling too great about uh, sifting through sands when it costs one more mana and you always have to discard. But it's an it's an instant, so that's kind of nice. I'm I'm just kind of noticing now that you know all three of these unspeakable cards have have to do with you know some form of card draw or at least digging through your deck, which is kind of cool with you know the flavor flavor of it that you're you know or I guess you're a spirit digging through all the sands and mists and everything, hunting for the unspeakable so you can summon him. Yeah, who is the protagonist in this art? So are the spirits, the spirits, I guess, are trying to summon the unspeakable, right? Because in all three of these, it's a, the, it's, which is interesting because I feel like, I feel like in a lot of other cards, the spirits are depicted more like a kind of mindless force to me, like a force of nature and kind of animalistic thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's not too many other cards that suggest kind of agency in the way that these three do for the spirits. And these ones are a little more, like the spirits in all three of the cards are a little bit more humanoid 
Yeah, they they got arms anyway. Yeah, and they're they're holding things, or they're clearly like do they're searching for things. Yeah, the spirit in Reach Through Mists looks like maybe he's wearing pants. So, so. That's, that's pretty human. <laughs> that's very human. <laughs> yeah, animals don't, you know, famously don't wear pants. No, most of them don't. Something I find kind of funny in this about the art for these, so they all have the spirits are all seeking these kind of green glyphs in all three of them. Mm-hmm. And what's odd to me about that is if I jump ahead to the unspeakable and look at his art, there are no glyphs. That's that those glyphs are not paid off in the final art. Um, and I find that a little disappointing. Now I was kind of thinking the unspeakable has kind of what looks like a, either a big tattoo or a, a giant gash in his chest. Oh, it's definitely a tattoo. Yeah, he's got a the sweet ink that kind of looks like <laughs> one of the glyphs. So maybe, maybe that's the connection but i i i noticed that the unspeakable the the artist who painted the unspeakable uh is different from the artist who did all three of the combo cards oh, are these all by anthony s waters they're all by anthony s waters and then the unspeakable is done by someone else well that's another puzzle isn't it yeah so that's a little strange it's it's almost like they had this idea of these cards that would combo together and they're like oh we should have one artist do all of those and then they got to the unspeakable and they didn't have the right art from Anthony S. Waters for the unspeakable. And, and let me, let me offer you a different theory on that. Cause I think I can, I can explain it. All right. Which is they thought about lady Azami's council that you can know up to three parts before you'll hit the point where you only, you, you know, only the commie will know what will become of you. Mm. So I think they were trying to protect, Anthony S. Waters, who was already monkeying with a lot of Eldritch power with these blue card draw spells. They're trying to protect him from the effect. Well, it's well known that he descended into madness after painting Sifter's Did Sand. he ever paint anything after this? I'm Probably not. We'll need to do a fact check on that later. So I, it is hard to escape the fact that we're moving heaven and earth for the unspeakable. He may have dirt on us. I don't know why. But honestly, the only... <laughs> I think the only one of these that's objectively, like, definitely includable in the cube is Reach Through Miss. I think this might be my, I don't know. Both this and Peer Through Depths are unimpressive, but this one might be the worst. Yeah, I mean, we got to have it in just for the unspeakable. So two copies, I guess we'll say meh. Two? You think two again? Yeah, I think we need two of each, don't you? I mean, kind of, but I also feel like it'll just feel like the entire blue section is... Here's, I'm sort of feeling like, you know, at, as we test this out, we're going to find that this whole unspeakable package just lives or dies as one. Yeah. Well, well, I don't want you to tar Reach Through Mists because I think Reach Through Mists always has a place. Maybe Reach Through Mists has a place. It's not like we're going to go down to one copy of Sift Through Sands and two copies of Reach Through Mists and then one unspeakable. Like, mm-hmm. if we're going to try to do this unspeakable thing, we need to have enough spells to speak him in so i don't want to terrify you connor but but anthony s waters started painting for magic the gathering in alpha or at legends and he was a consistent contributor through kamigawa and admittedly a couple more blocks until shards of alara and then he disappeared off the map so i don't know i'm thinking maybe this is when some kind of Madness set in. There you have it, folks. Careful with this power. Uh, sure, we can include two of these at math. Yeah. One one last thing before we move on from Sith through Sands. It's interesting that this this has to be 
the last spell that you play. It has to be. Yeah, that's brutal, isn't it? The other two in any order, and then sift through sift through sands is the only one that triggers the combo. So this needs to be the last one. This essentially lets you fetch the unspeakable for six mana instead of the nine mana that he costs later, and of course pull him out of your library. Yeah, and I can. I mean, I see from a templating perspective why it has to work that way, but it is kind of like it's already kind of a difficult, ungainly thing. Mm-hmm. So having that additional conditionality on it's rough. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Sire of the Storm for UU for a three-three spirit flying, and whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, you may draw a card. Yeah, I think this guy's really solid. Like a six mana 3-3, three, three, uh, even if flying is not amazing, but that trigger is the real deal um, with all these arcane spells. You know, you do this while summoning the unspeakable, you're going to be drawing three cards along with the unspeakable's incredible power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this card is really solid. Yeah, I, I've, I've felt really through all the cards so far, but especially blue, that all of these arcane spells have just been crying out for someone to lead them. And... Sire of the Storm mm. is answering that call. Yes. Like this this is the the spirit or arcane, the spirit craft trigger that we've been waiting for. Just draw a card. Yeah, it's interesting because I think in a modern magic set, we would see a lot of whenever you do the thing the set is about mm-hmm. types of things. And you don't actually have that many in, in this block. It's not that there's none, but there's not a lot. And this is probably the best of those generic spirit or arcane triggers. Yeah, that's interesting. Like that is supposed to be one of the central mechanics of the set, the spirit craft idea, but they, there really aren't that many spirits that have it. I don't want to fact check us um, and make us look foolish in front of our audience, but, but I just double checked because I was going to make a point of how few there are. And there's actually 49, but you know what? I'm going to say this is probably among the best. This is probably one of the best of them. <laughs> we'll just cut that out. Well, yeah, we'll fix it in post. Yeah. Um, I do genuinely, I think this card's pretty solid. I had it at a one X because I feel like A, it's a six mana thing. Yeah. And B, I think if you're trying to get into this deck, you should have to work for Sire of the Storm. So I don't really want more than one of them in. Yeah, I think that makes sense. What do you think of the art here? I, I appreciate it on a technical level, but I find it a little bit queasy making with all of the, there's a lot of cards in Kamigawa that have many mouths. And this one, this one is uh, no exception. And it's, in this case, it's grossing me out for some reason. I actually really like this art. Wow. The Kami featured here, the sire, is kind of silly looking because he kind of looks like a big, (laughs) good luck, (laughs) derpy anglerfish, maybe. Uh huh. At least from like the top of his head and his general shape. Yeah. But then the rest of him is like this (laughs) sort of pulsating mass, like a human mask face kind of protruding out from under this upper jaw and, you know, just all kinds of weird. Dragonfly wings. Dragonfly wings. like Scroll for tail. Gotta have those. Just these, you know, vaguely horrifying, like, commie-type design additions. Uh, but I think that, the like, there's this very, like, bruised-like color scheme to yeah. this whole piece that I think really, really works uh, and goes with the background of this, which is, of course, a storm. These dark, kind of a mix of dark and light clouds against the sky, like this summer storm with lightning striking behind him so it is like a creepy and like sort of gross piece but i i don't know for some reason it just feels like yeah this this is what the the kami that appears during a lightning storm should look like yeah i can respect it but i don't have to like it yeah 
That I, I'm also, uh, again, respecting but not liking. In the background, there's some smaller kami that are kind of like sluggy purple snake things with human mask faces on them. And those are those are maybe grosser even. I'm starting to think you just don't like human faces. <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> That's my takeaway. They're not green. You know, they don't have tusks. It's unnatural. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. All right, I'm excited for this next card because it's the first of... Uh, many Soratami that we're going to be talking about. We've got Soratami Cloud Skater. One U for a Moonfolk Rogue. One one uh, with flying. And of course, the classic Moonfolk ability. Pay two colorless mana and return a land you control to its owner's hand to uh, draw a card, then discard a card. So basically, you're looting. I think this is a pretty okay Moonfolk, I kind of struggled to rate this one because I felt like it could be good in the later game and, you know, maybe get a little bit of chip damage in early, but it's not going to be, at least I don't, I don't think it's going to be like swinging any games in a big way. Yeah. All of, all of these Soratami, you know, with their signature bouncing a land to your hand, like I think there's a problem here of it's, it's the kind of thing that isn't very fun Mm -hmm. to do. Um, but I think it looks worse than it is. Like, I think that's actually not that significant a cost in a lot of cases. Um, it's kind of like it costs maybe an extra half mana, particularly in the late game. I think having to bounce a land or two is is not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of saying that here so I don't complain about it on every Suratami um, and just try to evaluate them on rate. And I think on rate, this is, I think this one's okay. Blue does lack two drops. And so I think this gets a little bit of a better grade from that, but I don't know, two mana, one, one, even mm, it's not, it's not an amazing stat line. Yeah. I think one of the other reasons I struggle with this one and I, I rated it a mess, you know, the, the ability is nice and it's the kind of thing you would potentially want at any point in the game. But if you're dropping this on turn two, you're probably not going to want to use that ability on turn three. That's going to be too early to be setting yourself back on tempo that much just to be able to loot. This ability feels like one where even if you get this out on turn two, you're going to be waiting a while before you actually want to use it. And that kind of makes me sad. Yeah. And unlike our boy River Kaijin, like he doesn't, the the cloud skater doesn't hold down the fort and help you get to the mid to late game. Right. Which I feel like is kind of what I want these blue two and three drop creatures to be doing for me. Otherwise, I don't know. I'll just use that mana to cast a uh, you know, like uh, what's what's the fiddle one that we just talked about? You know, the taps and untaps things. You know, I'd, I'd kind of rather have that filling my two spot on my curve. Yeah. Hmm. Where do we land on this one? You know, I started on playable, but I, I'm I'm increasingly unconvinced that I want to include this. I think we're just going to have better options. I kind of want to just cut it. Hmm. Okay. Let me go take a look just at our other blue two drops. While you're looking, I'll just mention... You know, one one interesting thing about the this whole land bounce mechanic is that it's in a way it's at least theoretically better now in modern magic when we have a lot of cards and have a lot of mechanics that trigger off of land coming into play. Mm-hmm. But in the context of this block, uh, it's just sort of purely a setback. There's only one land in the whole block, Tendo Ice Bridge, which has any kind of charge counter, mm. like any kind of counter mm-hmm. mechanic. So that is really the only card you're going to get any sort of independent value. Yeah, I think we just cut it. So we've got a total of 15 blue two-drop creatures in the block. And many of the others are, you know, 
unimpressive, but there's a few pretty decent ones mixed in here. And I just, uh, I don't think this is doing what I want for my blue two drops. All right. Yeah. Let's just cut it. We, 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 we've been very generous so far. I feel like we gotta, we gotta start showing our teeth. So the gotta toughen up. Yeah. We maintain the fear of us and the sore Tommy. Okay. Let's talk about Sora Tommy mirror guard three and a U for a three, one moon folk wizard flying two return a land you control to its owner's hand target creature with power two or less is unblockable this turn i'm pretty mad on this thing my headline is i think a four mana three power flyer is a little more exciting in this set than it normally would it does still have one toughness and so it dies to everything it gets killed by everything not a zombie oh 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 or a zombie so I, I and I think I feel like the ability here is less good than a lot of the other Sortami as well of um unblockability on a power two or less creature is not getting my pulse racing. Uh and I don't think there's a huge number of creatures either that care about, you know, connecting or dealing damage to your opponents. So uh well, I'm going to push back on that last part a little bit because uh okay. ninjutsu well i'm gonna push back on your pushback there's only eight ninjutsu cards in the block which but people love them so much oh well, of course because it's uh it's a highlight of the entire game but i so this is a way this is a going. way to sneak I, some ninjas say your piece, in say this your can piece. be a way to sneak the ninjas in i agree in general that unblockable especially here where it's you know limited to something with power two or less is not mm-hmm. as great as it sounds but I, I mean, I feel like a four mana three damage flyer is like not bad in this setting, and having the little added bonus of sneaking a few more little guys in, not not too terrible. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is kind of playable. You feel like it's kind of playable in the sense that you would rate it at playable. <sighs> it makes me feel like we need something between med and playable. Which we don't. We have we have we a, a six point grading scale. Enough points on the scale already. So, but it's it's not a playable card. I'm that excited about. But I I I guess I would say there. I feel like you're describing a yeah, meh. Yeah, I guess. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to cut you off. Keep keep mounting your defense. I mean, there's there's cards I'd be a lot less excited to play than this. But yeah, the more I talk about it, the more it feels like I am describing a meh. I feel like I'm almost to instacut. So, all right. So let me let me make the bear case here. There's 600 odd cards in the block. Mm-hmm. And most of the cube is going to be 720 cards, probably less. So there's a lot of cards that are just going to get cut. And I, I don't, are you, are you, do you, does this card speak to you? Because to me, it kind of doesn't. It's just like, yeah, that's a thing. It could fill a spot in my curve. It might occasionally affect the game, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't excite me and it doesn't like fill me with a thrill of possibility. But I feel like you're you are describing you're describing a meh also. Fine. Okay. And I'm also, you know, this is like this is our first sort of first run through of everything, right? There's gonna be some shaping at the end, a little bit of uh-huh, you know, cutting things that we thought had a place in the cube and don't end up belonging and maybe this is one of them let's let's talk about the art maybe that'll help us decide whether this okay. is meh or okay. just a goer oh you want me to talk about it please proceed <laughs> all right it's confusing I've, I've decided you're the defender of this card so you go <laughs> this art confuses me so it's called soratami mirror guard and there are three soratami in the art 
So very they, stern. they are the guard, and they are very stern. And the Soritami closest to the viewer is holding out what I assume is a mirror. And in this mirror is a horrible monster face with a bunch of tentacles coming yes. out of it. I have to assume that this is a kami because it sure doesn't look mortal. So what's going on here? Is the Soritami making this spirit unblockable? It's very confusing to me too, because yeah, exactly. Well, and so even if he is, that spirit doesn't look like a two power spirit to me. He looks tougher. And I don't know why these traitor Soritami are helping the spirits. Uh, and I just can't make any sense of this card. And also actually even just the name of mirror guard. It should be defensive, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe they're guarding the mirror. That's the portal to unblockability. What do you think of this take? The Kami is trapped in the mirror by the mirror guard. Okay. Kami was going to block a creature with power two or less, but the mirror guards have captured the Kami in the mirror. Yep. Yep. And now that creature is getting through because it can't be blocked by the Kami trapped in the mirror. But what do we think about that? I think I largely accept that. I'm still actually, uh, let me let me nitpick again. The Soratami are each holding a string that's suspending the mirror, and they're all at very different distances, and I don't think they would suspend the mirror very effectively in real life. Just going to say are that. They, do they all have a string? I thought just the first one was holding it, and then no, the others no, were like I'm holding zoom, it. If you zoom in, they're all holding a string. Oh, that's kind of dumb. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. They're left hands. Oh, let's cut it. <laughs> that was because of that the, physics, the, <laughs> the physics problem. All right. All right. I feel like that probably wasn't our fairest evaluation, but you know what? Life's not always Impab fair. is a completely objective system. Yes. And once we ran through all of the criteria, the hidden yes. criteria, there was no choice. I just choice. want everyone to know it's rules-based. Absolutely. So let's talk about uh, another Soratami mirror user that I think we'll agree on. They really wanted um, us to know that the Soratami use mirrors, by the way, because they're in basically all of the half the titles or flavor text for Soratami cards. They love mirrors. So this is a mirror mage, Soratami mirror mage, 3U, a 2-1 Moonfolk wizard with flying and this wonderful ability, three mana and returned three lands you control to their owner's <laughs> hand to bounce target creature. So that is three mana and three, not one, not two, three lands going back to your hand to bounce a single creature. Yeah. Uh, this this was probably the easiest insta-cut I've <laughs> encountered in this whole set. I mean, this like the, just everything about this is so terrible. Like the, the body of this creature relative to the mana cost, the fact that you're not just paying three mana, which is already more than you normally pay for a bounce, but you're also losing three lands on top of it, not to return multiple creatures to the owner's hand, not to return any permanent you want to its owner's hand, one target creature. I think it's just the rate that really is damning on this. Like a four mana, two, one flyer. I'm sorry. That's just not, that is not good enough. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. It dies to everything. Um, it doesn't pressure your opponent. You know that this the mirror guard was harder, right? Because three three power is actually meaningful. It's a clock. It can like really if your opponent doesn't have uh, an answer and they don't have any flyers, that's a scary card. And the mirror mage isn't like that's a ten turn clock. Nobody's that scared of the Soritami mirror mage coming down on four and then setting you back three turns of tempo to bounce one thing. 
Yeah, I almost wonder if it was like bounce two lands or something at some point in development, and then that was just a little because I can see if this was cheaper, it's a bre- it's a pretty frustrating effect. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. That's that's just too high a cost. Yeah, it's one of those weird cards where, you know, it it feels like maybe this this was a different card at some point, and then oh, it's just safe. It wasn't tested, so they went super safe on the costing. Yeah, something like that. Or they did test it, and whatever they tested before was not working or was too strong, and they just came up with this instead. Just weird. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I also want to point out that Jace, at one point in his career, was a mirror mage. He was Jace mirror mage. Who taught who? (laughs) Well, that's a great question. Let's dig in on that. So, I mean, Kamigawa canonically takes place several thousand years before the rest of magic's timeline so i think jace learned his powers and everything he knows from studying the books written by this mirror mage i think that checks out okay somebody go update the mtg wiki with that information and update our cube that we've cut this card because this card's not getting in let's talk about another soratami soratami rain shaper two and a u for two one moonfolk wizard flying Three, return a land you control to its owner's hand. Target creature you control can't be the target of spells or abilities this turn. So three mana, pay three and bounce a land to give something Shroud. Uh, I'm actually really excited about this card. I I see you have it down at mana. I have it as a playable um, and I'm genuinely excited. I feel like a three mana, two one is pretty on flying is actually an okay rate in a way four mana is unacceptable. Three mana is decent. It's like a gray ogre-y thing that flies. Um, and I think the ability is super relevant. In the late game, this basically says all of your opponent's removal is blank because the cost is cheap enough for just three mana um, and only returning a single land that you can basically just say your opponent does not get to mess with any of your permanents or any of your creatures. And I think that's a pretty significant late game ability as well as a decent-ish early game body. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's. I think the one toughness is what's turning me off. Like the the rain yeah. shaper herself is not that hard to get rid of and is a little bit hard to keep around until that late game unless you you know don't play her until the late game. These Soratami are frail, aren't they? They're they're very frail people. They they are. They're just they're just you know studying and looking in the mirror all day. They, they no, they're not <laughs> they're not like hitting the gym all the time. Yeah, no, they are all very kind of slender and sort of waifish. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this rain shaper's neck is looks to be like maybe an inch and a half thick, so that would lead to some fragility. Now I'm I'm kind of putting my foot in my mouth here because I was standing up a little bit for the one toughness mirror guard. I mean, I like this ability better than the mirror. Admittedly, it's one more mana, but I feel yeah, like this Shroud is a much more is, relevant Shroud is ability good. than the mirror guard. I'll agree with that. I really like the art here. Uh, while I'm while I'm trying to tempt you up in ratings, I think the art's really. Just striking. It's not anything super notable. It's just a really solidly executed piece of fantasy art. It tells a nice story. It's got some dynamism to it. It's got a kind of great varied use of color. It's just a really cool yeah, piece. Yeah, I, th- I feel like it does a really good job of capturing this stylized image of the Soratami with this huge flowing hair and these sort of rabbit ears. And as you mentioned, the super thin neck, like just a very, very dynamic kind of piece and like represents the Soratami very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not uh, the artist here is Itoku, who's not an artist I've noticed before. It looks like uh, they only did 26 pieces for magic, but they've done some really 
Nice ones. They did uh, Kega, the Tide Star, which we were cooing over earlier. They'd done Gorio's Vengeance. Um, Molten Disaster is a great piece. So relatively small portfolio, but a lot of really cool pieces. Yeah. I actually looked into Itoku a little bit because I think this is the only Japanese artist represented in this Japanese-themed block. Really? Uh, huh. Which, of course, is you know changed with Neon Dynasty. Yeah. But as far as I could tell, Itoku is the only Japanese artist in this set. Like you mentioned, they did Azami and Keiga, and I think there's maybe one more coming up. But I found uh, Itoku's Twitter account, and there's some art from other card games, and you know a lot of it's much more kind of anime looking, and uh, but a hmm. lot of it, a lot of his or their pieces are you know very like dynamic and really cool looking stuff like this. Yeah, it's interesting you say about kind of more anime looking because uh, you don't see it. You see it maybe a teeny bit in this art. You really see it in the Zami Lady of Scrolls, mm-hmm. which uh, Itoku also did. And that that is as close as you get to kind of an anime looking uh, character in the original Kamigawa uh, block. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like of their 26 pieces, 12 of them were in Kamigawa. So very mm-hmm. much concentrated in uh, in the set. There you go. Uh, so where do, where do you want to land on the rain shaper? So I have them at two X just because I think it's a really solid three drop. Do you, does that feel too generous to you? No, I don't think so. I think two is probably right at this cost. All right, and playable. Can I can I call yeah, yeah, call it playable? playable? Are you still smarting over the mirror guard? No, I'm, I'm over that. All right, two playable. Two playable. Excessively oh. playable. Okay. Uh, let's talk about another very cool Soratami. Soratami Savant. 2-U-U yeah. for a 2-2 Moonfolk Wizard with flying. This ability is pay three colorless mana, return a land you control to its owner's hand. Counter target spell unless its controller pays three. Oof. I was reading this and I was like, this is actually kind of good. Consistent. You keep waiting for the condition, right? Like counter it and return it to their hand uh-huh. or like counter it and exile your library or something but no it's just straight up counter unless they pay three which is a lot of mana like this is a lot of mana and and notably like the same amount of mana that you're paying you know not including the land you bounce but you would expect in this set that it would be you know they pay they would pay less than you had to pay to try to set up the counter yeah it's it's funny it's a funny effect because it's it's kind of symmetrical so you're paying three and they would have to pay three and you're bouncing a land. So in a way you're sort of behind, but then the flip side is that you have this thing out. So you have a two, two flyer kind of basically accruing virtual card advantage. Like your opponent is having to really slow roll everything they do um, while you're just chipping in with this two, two. And I think that, I think that's pretty good. I feel like that's going to be an annoying and effective play pattern. Yeah. Uh, I also really like that there's two toughness. On this sword, Tommy, she's a little bit yes. She's finally. a little bit buffer than most of her colleagues. Yeah, how are they going to get through this war if they don't toughen up a little bit? It's good to see the savant kind of leading the yeah. way. She's not just an intellectual leader; she's a physical hero- heroine yes. as well. Yeah, I really like this card, and I really like the art. Yeah, the art is just beautiful. Yeah, do you want to take it? Boy, how to describe this? So it's a, a sword, Tommy, um, standing. It looks like in kind of a sea of clouds which I think is where the Soratami live, like in some kind of cloud castle or some castle in the sky. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can see a castle in the background here. And it's nighttime, so above these clouds is a sea of stars. And she is casting some sort of spell. Her 
you know, she's waving her hands in this sort of wide arc with these trails of white magical energy coming out. Uh, she's wearing this these flowing robes and her hair is flowing too and this wind up in the clouds and just really beautiful, really well done piece. Yeah, and her posing is, is kind of calm, but yeah. it's not static, you know, which is a tricky thing to execute. It's kind of calm, but powerful in a way. Yeah, and there's a sense of motion still, like kind of slow motion, like the the way her robes trail suggests she she is moving, but gracefully. Look it up. I suspect there was some digital art mixed into this set, but we're really still in the traditional physical medium era of magic art. And like, this is one of those things, you just look at it and you go, wow, the skill to execute something like that, this highly layered composition, color, the way that the white line pops almost of her magic pops almost like it's, it's glowing. Uh, it's just a stunning piece of art. I got to get me one of these in foil. Oh, yeah. I don't know. How many do you think? So I, I waffled a little bit. This feels like an effect you don't want too much of just cause it's, uh, it's pretty good. And also cause it's double designated. So it's not, it's not very splashable. And I feel like you don't want the blue drafter to be able to just, you know, sneak about, sneak a ton of these into their deck for free. Yeah, that's fair. I said, I said playable and three of them, but I think three is definitely too much. I was just, I think you're blinded by love. <laughs> I just want more of this savant, but I think, uh, I think two is probably right. Maybe even one down to one at some point, but let's call it two for now. Yeah, I, I totally could see going down to one, but yeah, let's start at two just because it's a cool card. One last thing, um, for reasons that I cannot discern, maybe the savant knows, but I have no idea. Most of the comments for this card on Gatherer are in haiku form. What? Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll read a, a few of them. Yeah, read me. That, What? There's no indication here of how this started or why or what it has to do with the card at all. But here's, here's a few of them. This page is sublime. Wonderful comments beneath my favorite art. Another one. Haikus are great fun, but sometimes they don't make sense. Refrigerator. <laughs> Blue, white, green, red, black. Moon, fox, snake, goblin, and rat. Magic gathering. That's a good one. Oh, wow. That's a good one. That is awesome. <laughs> Huh. Rather, if anyone knows why these are haiku, let us know. That's what a great discovery. That's awesome, Connor. Yeah, one more. A rather fun card, probably the best moon folk other than legends. Wow. You should have led with that. We didn't even need to review this thing. Well, I just I just want to leave everyone with that. Okay, let's move on to the final Soratami, Soratami Seer. Soratami Seer is four and a U for a two three, Moon Folk Wizard, flying. Four, return two lands you control to their owner's hand, discard your hand, then draw that many cards. I am really high on this card. I I think this card is very solid. I think it's um in the late game kind of exactly where you want to be. I see you have a different rating. Where do you have Soratami Seer? So I I sort of, I missed a step here. So I think it's better than I thought. I said Instacut. And my thoughts were, so this is a five mana, two, three with a four mana activated ability, which also sets your tempo back by two turns for zero card advantage. But I got that zero card advantage part kind, maybe kind of wrong because when you use this ability, you're putting the lands back in your hand and then those become part of the hand you discard and then redraw. Yeah. So you're sort of getting yeah. card advantage of two there. Yeah, please, please join me in my fantasy scenario here. So maybe... <laughs> no, hold on. I want okay. to construct right. a scenario. Lay it on me. 
scene. It's turn eight. You and your opponent are stalled out together on board. You both got one card in hand. Yours is a land. You suspect your opponent's holding a land. You got six lands in play. Okay, now you activate the Sora Tommy Seer at the end of their end step. So you drop down to four lands. Bounce two lands to your hand. You discard your hand. So you've discarded three lands and you draw three cards. Um, Next turn, you drop a land. You're back up to five. Um, You've got four cards in your hand. Your opponent has one. I feel like I'm pretty happy with that exchange, especially because I can do it again in a couple of turns. Like, I just feel like this is a, this is some serious inevitability, like all packaged up in one uh, humble looking wizard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd be pretty happy with that too. Yeah. If you just walk into my dream scenario, this guy's great. Well, this guy's pretty good. Yeah. This is pretty okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think again, it's just the, the cost to body ratio here. Uh, yeah, I know he suffers pretty hard on that, but I will say that like three toughness is going to be enough to get him through quite a few scuffs with other creatures in this block. He blocks, I think every other Soratami except the three power one we cut. Uh, yeah. And one that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, oh, right. But but yeah, he blocks all right. Like flyers are not generally that large in this set. Okay, I I think we can play around with one copy. One copy. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you'd ever want more than one. Honestly, it's too expensive. There's not a deck that I think really like. You don't want two of these in play. Mm-mm. It's it's just not something you can take advantage of, really. Okay, and um, I will draft him every time and prove to you that he's all right. Great. I'll I'll look forward to that. Uh, next, we've got Squelch, which is going to make you pretty sad when you play that Sorotami Seer. Oh, no. Squelch is 1U, instant, counter-target activated ability, and draw a card. So I, I really want to have this in, not only because it would be so painful to have this played against a Sorotami activated ability. <laughs> oh, It would man. really, really hurt. Oh, wow. But it just, it seems like not that bad like there's quite a few cards that have activated abilities uh, that this could counter yeah i looked there's a there's 198 okay so 10 of those at least are mana abilities so it's like 180 maybe um and then five of them are the deceivers which we don't want to talk about so there's like 175 let's say that's a pretty significant chunk of the block actually that have activated abilities. And a lot of them are things that are pretty good to counter. Like the Soratami, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that's rough. Um, there's 35 creatures that sacrifice themselves. That's brutal yeah. to get your sack ability countered with this. Uh, this can counter ninjutsu. That's also brutal. They bounced a creature and then nothing happens. It's great against the Myogen or hilarious against the Myogen. Like I think this is, I, I could still totally see it being actually terrible, but I have a, I feel like there's a chance it's actually kind of adequate as a thing to throw one of in your deck in your deck. Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be a fun one to see if it works. And the art is just also a lot. I of love fun. the art. Is this our first Aki? I think so. This is the first Aki we've seen. You want to talk about the Aki? Because they're yeah. weird. Well, let's what is an Aki? Aki are the goblins of Kamigawa. They sort of look like a, they kind of have a humanoid goblin type figure, uh, but they also have kind of a 
turtle armadillo shell on their back. Yeah. And they have these kind of funny, cute faces that are something between a goblin and an owl a little bit with a lot of spikes on them. And Aki in this art, he's standing up in these snowy mountains, which is where they live. He's he's trying to cast a spell. He's trying to make some magic. Uh, and it's just been squelched. And he's scratching his head in confusion and disappointment. And his eyes just look so sad. And the flavor text says, Okudoku had gone through all the motions. The same Aki curse words, the same ingredients with their horrid stink, the same rude gestures. Yet not a person died. Which is just sad. I feel bad for Okudoku. Yeah, I, I, I love this uh, art. I think it's just so... It's so fun. Yeah, the artist here is Matt Cavada, uh, you know, later art director of Magic. And the way that this art is humorous and tells a story and really effectively depicts emotion in this pretty inhuman looking character. Yeah. Like the the human reference points here are basically the eyes uh, and kind of the body language of scratching the head. But like Aki are pretty strange. They're kind of all hard shell in their face. Um, and yet somehow there's a ton of emotion coming through and he just looks, it's just funny. It's just funny yeah. to look at. Funny and you you feel for him. Even though he's tried to kill people, you feel for him. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, oh Kudoku. didn't work. Oh, Kudoku. Yeah, that's not fair. Uh, yeah, I think we trial it. I think there's a chance it's just no good, but I, I think it's like a yeah. meh. And I mean, it does cycle, you know? Yeah. That's true. Well, kind of. Yeah, I mean, you got to have an activated ability to counter, but... It doesn't, because it has to have a target. But yeah, you could counter a marginal activated ability and cycle, and that's that's, okay. that's fine. Yeah, one, one interesting thing that some people pointed out about Squelch is that it is maybe better now than it was when it was printed, or almost certainly better, because of Planeswalkers. Oh, sure. Because they're just all activated ability. All right. Let's stick one in. One copy at meh. Let's go to Student of Elements. This is a flip card. Student of Elements, one and a U for a 1-1 human wizard. When it has flying, flip it. And it flips into Tobita, Master of Winds, who is a 3-3 human wizard, and who says creatures you control have flying. Ah, it's so cool, but there's just no support for it. So who doesn't love giving all your creatures flying? That is like... Timmy, magic, new magic player's first dream that all your creatures can fly over and crush your opponent. The problem is there's almost nothing in the set that can give a flying. There's only five cards in the entire block. Several of them are unplayable. Like we talked about Lifted by Clouds, for example, which is uh, just not a good card. So I just, I don't see this ever flipping. And if it doesn't flip, it's a two mana one, one with no abilities. And that's just not, that's not okay. Yeah, it's, it's pretty painful. It's like, potentially you have this really big payoff, especially in limited, but it's just way too hard to achieve and he's way too killable in the meantime. Yeah, and as you noted, like many of the playable blue creatures already have flying. And so the, uh, the all your creatures have flying is like a little more marginal than it looks. This art, tell me how you feel about it. Um, I don't, I don't have a super strong feeling. So it's like a, um, it's a wizard in a pink robe with a dove above him. And I like that he has a pink robe, actually. I think that's kind of fun. And then he flips into Tobita, who's like a... Boy, how would you describe Tobita? Tobita's like a old man, like kind of Michelin man, puffy white. <laughs> that's a good one. To like put. flying bodysuit <laughs> soaring through the air. Um, 
And the separation between them is a dove's wing. Like just a, a literal wing. Which takes up like a quarter of the, or like a sixth of the art. It's a little on the nose. I don't know. I think Tobita's funny. I, I actually think I like it. The more I look at it, the more I just like that Tobita uh, is wearing this Michelin Man puffy suit. Yeah, I, I kind of hate it. Just <laughs> I thought you loved, this is an Itoku piece. I thought you were honor bound to like Itoku. I know. I'm, I was, I'm surprised that it's Itoku because I really, really don't like this. First, the student, I like his pink robes. That's nice. But, you know, he's a little anime if you zoom in, actually. He's got kind of an yeah, anime right. face. He kind of does. But anyway, anime face notwithstanding, like, there's yeah. nothing about this art of the student that says either student or elements. It's just a, it's just some guy in a pink robe. It's a guy in a pink bathrobe. Like, he's holding up a hand and there's a dove flying. Like, it looks like he's maybe preaching or something. Yeah, or honestly, kind of like he's begging yeah. um, this holy dove to give him flying. Like, if, I could, <laughs> if I could give flying, I could be I'm so great. Somebody give me flying. Everyone's going to fly. <laughs> so then you flip him over. You cross over this Whoop. this stupid dove's wing that takes up, like, a, as you said, a quarter. It's so big. It's I mean, funny. it's huge. Like, most of the flip cards are sort of this, you know, subtle. Sometimes Like a line. Yes, sometimes there's a line. Sometimes there's a more subtle transition. A few of them achieve kind of a cool effect. This is just like mm-hmm. a wing, like just a solid I double don't mind wing, just, <laughs> like cutting straight through. I think it's fine. <laughs> and then you flip it over and you look at Tobita and he's got his Michelin man suit on with like, <laughs> like he's wearing two purple ties. And like, <laughs> he's like, he's falling down a well or like in a, in a wind <laughs> tunnel or something, just <laughs> like getting blasted with this wind because he's the master of them now why is he so puffy like is that because is it that thing where like wind has gotten inside his clothes yeah it's like yeah you know it's like on a windy day if you you know maybe like it's really windy you lift up the bottom of your puffy jacket and then the wind blows in there Uh uh-huh and it it puffs up that's what he's doing here is he really a master of wind if he hasn't learned how to keep wind out of his clothes he must be so so unaerodynamic I don't know. I think this art is funny, and I right. I like it. But is is the card going to get in? No, no. I, I mean, it it could get in if there was just you know enough synergy. But I just think I think the problem with this is unless you're uh, the player has like us gone through all six hundred cards in Kamigawa one by one and discussed them for uh, an inordinate length of time, they might think that it's possible to flip this thing. But I think it's just so unlikely you're going to get get lucky in the in the draft to be able to um to flip this thing around yeah so it's it's a trap and i don't like that it is all right let's cut him goodbye next card is swirl the mists to uu for an enchantment as it comes into play choose a color word all instances of color words on spells and permanents become the chosen color word um i mean there must be some cool combos with this card but they're not in this set yeah, I was thinking about this card. Like, I feel like they used to print cards like this a lot more mm. in two senses. Like, one, they basically don't print any cards that reference color words. Like, just reading this, it sounds awkward. Like, choose a color word. Like, if you just said that to someone, if you said to someone who doesn't understand, doesn't play magic, um, destroy target creature, they're not going to know exactly how to execute that, perhaps, but they're going to understand it as a sentence in the context mm. of the game. Whereas, choose a color word is like, what? What does that mean to choose a color word? But the second sense in which they don't do this is they don't 
they don't really print any more four mana rares that do nothing <laughs> outside of an incredibly specific deck. Yeah. Like, I feel like I, I wish I had built a list, but there were a lot of cards in this era of magic that are like this, where it's like, oh, ho, ho, if you're clever enough, there's something you can do. And I'm not going to tell you what it is like. But I don't know. This, this card is like so much. OK, it's not getting in the cube, clearly, because there's nothing to interact with. But even outside that, I don't really like these kind of cards. Yeah. Like, I just don't think they are very fun or or interesting and I, I feel like that was especially in blue in this period for the game oh, yes every block had one of these back then yeah yeah there was some card usually a rare like this usually an enchantment just, usually an enchantment it's just abysmal and useless 99 percent of the time and then it's like oh there's if you can figure out the right combination of cards here something's gonna happen and it's probably not gonna be all that good but something's gonna happen if you can piece these together the right way and if you can't, it's going to do nothing at all. You know, in early magic, like really early in alpha, there's a lot of cards that mess with color words. There's like yeah. seven or eight cards in alpha. It's like something like one in every 40 cards. And the whole, you know, circle of protection cycle, just all kinds of color stuff. The lace cycle, which are just like yeah. instants that change the color of a thing. There's uh, magical hacking. There's just tons and tons of cards for magical hack that change colors. And I think in early magic, they really thought playing with colors was going to be a big part of the game. Like, I think the original playtest name of magic was something like five color magic or what was it? It was, but in the end, it just didn't work out because the problem with these kind of color-based interactions is they tend to be really um, on or off. Like either they do literal nothing um, or they're total blowout. So like the use for swirl to miss would be to pair it with something that say destroys everything um, of a certain color or something and makes everything that color, but it's like a really hard to put together and B, if it works, it's kind of like, huh? Okay. I, I guess the game's over. <laughs> yeah. It's not a part of magic that is missed nowadays. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of nostalgia for these cards in general, or especially this card. Insta cut, get it out. All right. Let's go to teller of tales. Three UU for a three, three spirit flying. Whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, tap or untap target creature. I really like this card. Uh, it just seems incredibly solid to me. It's not, I don't think it's unbelievably powerful, but I think it's pretty solidly strong. The rate is okay. 3-3 three, three flyer for five isn't totally embarrassing. The ability to tap things at instant speed or untap things is also pretty solid and can lead to some tricky little blowout moments. Um, yeah, I think this guy's just totally solid. Yeah, he reminds me of Sire of the Storm with, you know, obviously a less yeah. impactful spearcraft ability, but it's like actually a better rate on this card, five mana, three, three, flying mm -hmm. with, you know, it's like it's doing something when uh, you play that spirit or arcane spell. I think this is just a solid, solid card to have in blue. Yeah, I also love the art here. It's like, so it's like this kind of froggy green porcupine ball of mouths. That is, that's a great description. Thank you. Um, and he's, he's hanging out with our fish scroll friends from Eerie Procession, which was by the same artist, Jim Murray. Uh, and there's just something really fun about it. It's like a little bit humorous. It's a little bit uh, freaky. It's just fun to look at. I love these mouths. They're like creepy and a little comical. Mm -hmm. There's this hazy background that I think works really well with the, this creepy critter in the, in the center of the art. I, I also notice that he's, he's holding, the main Kami is oh, holding he scrolls is. underneath, just like Eerie, the Eerie, Eerie 
procession. Huh, fish. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're all kind of tied together. Yeah, I like that it's a little bit funny because Kamigawa is generally quite serious set outside the Aki, and it's kind of nice. I mean, this isn't all the way there. It's still pretty creepy, um, but it's just got enough of a humorous quality to it that it's less, uh, it lightens the mood in a way I appreciate. Yeah. Um, and I also like the flavor text. I've been kind of hard on flavor text in this set because I think a lot of it's a little on the nose. But this one, I like a little more. It says, words never uttered by mortals flowed incessantly from its many mouths. Yeah, and I just like that. I think that's a nice little evocative piece of thing. It's almost like a D&D like, prompt for writing an adventure or drawing a monster <laughs> or something. It, it yeah. draws me in. Yeah, good stuff. How many of these do you think we should start with? I'm not sure if it should be one or two. Yeah, I was. I said two, but I'm starting. I'm starting to kind of keep running through the math in my head of how many cards there are, and I'm starting to think yeah. we're, we're including too many multiples to some of these expensive cards. Yeah, we are having a lot of multiples so far, and I, I suspect we'll have to end up cutting a lot of those multiples down to singles at some point, and maybe we should just start out as a single with this guy. Yeah, I think we should make uh, particularly these more expensive cards earn the multiple, and I think this guy's more just like a singleton role player. Yeah. All right. Boom. Uh, meh or playable? I had him at meh. You had him at playable. I, I don't feel super strongly. I feel like the rate here is not that good. Yeah, I'm fine with meh, I think. All right. Meh. One of them. Meh. All right. Next card is Thoughtbind. To you, for an instant, counter target spell with converted mana cost four or less. I mean, meh really sums up how I feel about this. Yeah, I actually want you to read verbatim your full comments from our show notes. Yeah, my full comments on this card were maybe not terrible. I guess the reader, the listener isn't looking at our spreadsheet, but many cards here have like 300 words in this card. It's just hard to muster much emotion about it. Well, so I have a little emotion. Like this is another one where it's like, I wish this was arcane because there's not a lot of counter spells. The fact that this one is not arcane further limits its utility in a way that's pretty annoying. And it's, it just feels like counter spells were not good in this era. This is another example. It's weird to have a card that can only counter relatively cheap spells that itself costs three mana because you can't really get mana advantage out of this card. Yeah, that is a, that's a good point. You're only, you know, one mana off from the cap on the spell you're countering. So a lot of times you may actually be paying three to like counter a two mana spell. Um, or if you draw this in the late game, you're just going to be sitting on it, watching your opponent cast, you know, really meaningful six drops uh, and not doing anything about it. You know, now that you... um you mentioned you were sad that this isn't arcane. Uh, now that we've looked at so many counter spells uh, in blue, I'm noticing that none of the counters are arcane. Really? It seems to be a distinctively mortal ability. That so that's is kind interesting. of interesting. Is that a balance? I wonder if that's a balance thing just because like splicing, say, draw a card onto a counter spell is just like hmm. too cruel. Though, I mean, what with what we know about the you know, design direction of this set, I wouldn't be surprised if there was sort of a decision made that, you know, countering spells and like containing the spirit realm is something that mortals do. Yeah, now that you've mentioned it, the only counter spell in the block on an instant or sorcery is Disrupting Shoal in Betrayers, which is kind of a unique card anyway. But yeah, apart from that, you're right. None of them are arcane. Yeah, that feels like either a creative decision or a balanced decision or both. Yeah. Uh, I I have this at meh, but I'm honestly tempted to just cut it. Like we have a bunch of three mana blue instants already getting in and I'd rather just have them. Yeah, I think that's right. Do we just insta-cut it? Let's just cut it. Let's get to a card that is a lot more fun to talk about. 
time stop for you, you instant end the turn. That's the whole uh, Oracle text. I'm going to actually read the reminders text because in this case, I think it helps uh, explain the card. So end of the turn, remove all spells and abilities on the stack from the game, including this card. The player whose turn it is discards down to his or her maximum hand size. Damage wears off and this turn and until end of turn effects end. This is a really interesting card because on the surface, it's just like end the turn. Okay, yeah, that's kind of cool, but it actually does a lot. It can add, it can interact with the game in lots of weird ways. The first thing it can do is basically act like a slightly worse time walk or time warp. So if you cast this on your opponent's upkeep, they'll have untapped, but then their turn will end before they can even draw, let alone uh, resolve spells or attack. And so this can kind of act like a time warp where most of your opponent's turn gets denied to them and the turn gets handed back to you. Uh, it can also be a counter spell for you. So if you cast this while your opponent has a spell on the stack, uh, once time stop resolves, their spell is just exiled. No, it doesn't go to the graveyard. It gets exiled and it doesn't resolve. And potentially you've also time walked them or partially time walked them. This can even counter things that normally can't be countered. So if your opponent is using an ability, for example, that will also get removed from the stack. And so cycling uh, actually gets stopped by this. This is a really unique card with a lot of modes and a lot of subtlety to its play. Okay, I'll shut up. I'm just so excited about time stop. <laughs> no, I'm, please continue. Okay. You've got a lot of good stuff to say about it. I have a lot it. to say about it. Okay, a couple more things to say about it. So when Mike Flores, who's a pro who uh, went on to work for Wizards at some point, I was spoiling this card, he clearly thought, wow, we've really knocked it out of the park on this one. Um, so here's the intro to his article. Well, sharks, here's what you've all tuned in for. Then he shows an image of the card. Wow. No, really, wow. Let's look at it th that again. Then he shows an image of the card again. This card is really cool, refreshing, and new. Unlike a lot of cards whose effects have these kinds of adjectives associated with them, especially the adjective new, Time Stop is also quite powerful. And he's right. As I said earlier, it's kind of a modal spell. It also has, just aesthetically, I'll say, this is a super cool rules text. Like just this three-word three word rules text is just cool in and of itself. Oh, and I love the art. Okay. End the turn. All right. All right. Yeah, the art is fantastic also. It's uh, this sort of mirror image of uh, a woman in the left side of the frame, a woman kind of looking at a, a bird, and then on the right side, the same woman mirrored uh, holding an egg, like a little glowing egg. Um, so I'm not exactly sure how that's a time stop. It's more of a chicken and egg type thing, <laughs> but it's really, really beautiful, beautiful art, really evocative, and, you know, it... it it gives a sense of sort of messing with the fabric of reality or messing with time itself. Yeah, just beautifully executed. Like uh, it's yeah. it's nearly photorealistic, but in a way that really works for the game. It doesn't look jarring. Right. It doesn't look like a photo was pasted in. It just looks like, wow, this guy can really paint. It doesn't look like Hisoka. So this has got to be in. Yeah, this has got to be in. I think like on playability... I'm not sure how good a kind of six mana time warpy thing is. Like it's kind of like a not quite as good cryptic command or something. Um, it can't draw a card exactly, although it kind of can because it denies your opponent drawing a card. I don't know. It's really, it's a funky card, but I, I think it's good enough and it's absolutely iconic without question. Definitely. All right. I think we got to have uh, probably one copy. Right? Yeah, this feels like a one X to me. I mean, for a start, it's a six mana. It's also a six mana instance. <laughs> How many of those can you yeah, run? Yeah, that's not, that's not the first six mana instant we've seen. <laughs> it won't be the last. Okay, we've been silent long enough. It's time for the unspeakable. Ooh. Ooh. The payoff card of the three-card combo that we keep 
going on about. Here he is, the unspeakable 6UUU for a legendary spirit, 6-7, flying and trample. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you may return target arcane card from your graveyard to your hand. So the unspeakable is basically a, a big butt flyer that gets your arcane spells back. It is the biggest base stat blue card in the block. Doesn't get mm-hmm. bigger than 6-7 in blue. It barely gets big, bigger than 6-7 like in the whole set. Yeah, at all. Um, there is one blue card that we'll get to in Saviors that has potential to get bigger than this, but the Unspeakable is the biggest by default. Obviously, as a 6-7 flyer, this can definitely be a game ender, assuming your opponent doesn't have removal. But my feeling about this guy, honestly, is that it's a real bummer that he doesn't have some kind of enter the battlefield or some other immediate effect for when you play him from your hand or pull off the combo. Like, it would really suck for this guy to get hit with a rent Spirit as soon as you pull off this three-card combo and pull him out of your deck, and then your opponent's just like, oh, um, bye. Yeah, although even then, he was free, right? Free-ish. I mean, you had to put some suboptimal cards in your deck, but he didn't cost you a card, technically. Yeah, that is true. Unless you play him from your hand for nine mana. Yeah, that that would suck. Yeah, I just checked. He's the only flying trampler or flampler in the set, which is or in the block, which is pretty mm. cool. Uh, and he is definitively the biggest flyer in the block. There is no flyer with more power or more toughness than him. And I think he's the only flyer with power six or greater. Yeah, he's the only six wow. plus power flyer in the block. So he is pretty. He stands alone. Yeah, it's getting some respect here. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, as we talked about earlier, we got to stick the Unspeakable in and his support cards. We got to pull it off once and then we got to see if it was worth, you know, all the overhead because it does impose a pretty big tax on the blue section. You know, let's say there's, I don't know, 90 blue cards in the cube. We're essentially devoting like five to six parts of them to this package, although some of the some of his support cards are fine. Yeah, I think uh, I think what we'll really have to see is just how often, if ever, one player can actually assemble all the pieces of this combo, like get the unspeakable, but then also get at least one copy of each of the other three cards and then actually pull the combo off and then get them all in a, in a game. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of ifs. Yeah. Like draw all of them in a game and then get to the unspeakable, like big payoff, but it's a really big if in cube. Yeah, we'll hit on this more when we get to the Zubera special episode coming up uh, soon, I suspect, but you know, some cubes will do, you know, what you sometimes hear called packages, where it's like, if you draft this card, you automatically get these other cards. And I have wondered, like, maybe with his support cards, you know, if you draft one pure through depth, say you get two or three or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I worry it's like more overhead than it's worth. And I, I don't like how it kind of breaks the, it makes the drafting experience kind of opaque and hard to understand mm-hmm. for people. But I, we could try something like that, too. Maybe. Yeah, I think we we just kind of have to see how it goes and see what works and even if we, you know, want this whole combo in. You know, you you almost have to do it just as because it's fun or for the meme value, right? Because yeah. I don't know, we've been going through blue and like there's a lot of marginal cards, but there are cards like Maloku, you know, there's a lot of decent flyers in blue and it is kind of like you you kind of have to choose, you know, I'm going to put the unspeakable in my deck instead of just, you know, beating down with Maloku. Yep. And I mean at the end of the day we're you know, we're trying to create a certain feeling for this cube, sort of tell the story of this block. And I think the unspeakable should have a part in it, at least for now. Can I can I throw one wild idea at you that just occurred to me? Lay it on me. What if the unspeakable is not drafted? 
you just can like a wish card if you cast those three enabling spells you just get him like from outside the game huh yeah huh i like that idea it may be a little difficult to it's a little byzantine we're already priced into doing some weird stuff right like with damage on the stack i mean i guess that's the only thing so far I, I i don't know if we should have baroque rules like this i just wanted to throw it out there as something we could explore yeah something to think about that would allow multiple unspeakables to face off, which incidentally is making me think there's another legacy rule we haven't talked about, which is, you know, back in this day, you couldn't have two opposing legendary creatures in play at the same time with the same name. Yeah, I was going to say we, we couldn't have unspeakables facing off because they'd kill each other. Well, back then. So we, we kind of like the damage on the stack. We need to put a stake in the ground of how do we want to deal with the legend rule? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm. I'm sure we'll come back to this, but my I, I lean toward having it work the way it worked back then. Yeah. Where, you know, if you if anyone summons a secondary legendary with the same name as one that's already in play, then everybody dies. Was it everybody dies? It's actually been so long. I think it is. I got to go look. Fact check ourselves here. Yes. All of them die now. There you go. Or at this time, sorry, not now, at this time. Because I think originally, like original, original magic, wasn't it that the newest one killed the older one or the older one killed the newer one? Something like that? Yeah, something confusing. Yes. Yeah, it was the new one would just fizzle, which is an even worse play experience. Yeah. Huh. I mean, honestly, I personally prefer, just from a pure play perspective, I think they were smart to get rid of that rule because it kind of just randomly screws players. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for keeping it Keeping it around for this cube. Yeah. We'll think about that. All right. So are we, I think we start by just putting him in and we see how that goes. And if that doesn't work, maybe we try my Baroque rule. And if that doesn't work, then uh, we all shed a tear for the unspeakable. Yeah. Then we, we've tried as hard as we should for him. I, I think we should. Cause I'm, I'm kind of scared of him. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to cut him without making our best possible effort to include him. Yeah. You don't want to cross him. I mean, I don't think he's going to care either way, to be honest with you. You think we're too, we're too small? Well, no, I mean, just like, I, can, can you make an explanation to the unspeakable? You know, if he finds you've cut him from the cube, I think you should worry no matter how reasonable cause you have. <laughs> There's no explanation we could give. Yeah. Okay. Auto include right. one. <laughs> I think we did it. All right. Boom. All right. Our second to last blue card is Uyo, Silent Prophet. For UU, for 4 4 legendary creature, Moonfolk Wizard. Flying. Two, return two lands you control to their owner's hand. Copy, target instant or sorcery spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So six mana, 4 4, two mana, and bounce two, copy an instant or sorcery. I actually kind of want you to go first on evaluating this because I, uh, I don't know, I'm a little down on it, but I think you make a good case for it. Okay, so I I mean I feel like uh, a six mana four four flyer is close to good enough on its own in this mm-hmm. set. You know, Kega, sort of the like the dragon spirits are maybe the lodestar of a high power card here, and Kega is a six mana five five. All the dragons are. So here here you know you have a six mana four four flyer. It's okay, and then you add in this spell copying ability in the late game, and I feel like this at least has the potential to have some real power in that late game for blue. For example, copying Petals of Insight could be pretty insane card advantage with this. Mm-hmm. That's the best case, but I agree. 
That's that is the best <laughs> case, but it's, it could be a lot of cards. It could also be interesting and painful your for your opponent with some cards in red, like Stone Rain, Lava Spike that we'll have coming up. I know those neither of those are like game ending cards, mm-hmm. but they at least have some interesting potential to you know copy something like Lava Spike multiple times for some big game ending turn. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that you you know this is repeatable up to the number of lands you have and up to the amount of mana you have, but you know, we've been talking about grindy games this whole time. A 4-4 flyer that lets you copy a powerful spell seems like it could be Game Ender. Yeah, I think I I think I may have focused too much on the rate here. Because I think of, or on the ability here. Because I think you're right that the rate is pretty solid. Like a 6-mana 4-4 flyer isn't quite blowing down the doors. But it's definitely, it's definitely good enough. She can tussle with most other flyers and win. Um, she presents a pretty meaningful clock. I'm less sold on the ability here because I feel like the other moon folk have have abilities that are basically as good as most instances and sorceries you'd be copying. So for example, um, the Soratami Savant that counters a spell unless your opponent pays three, the Rain Shaper that gives something Shroud. Like those are already pretty solid spell-like abilities. And so I feel like the fact that she's asking you to put in extra work maybe impresses me less. Although two mana is a pretty cheap cost. So that's that's something for her. I may be giving Uyo the same treatment that you gave Soratami Seer, imagining some uh, perfect late game turn where you, you've been waiting and you've got this lava spike or even a glacial ray or something and you've got all this mana and you're going to you know, slam your opponent's face for 15 damage or whatever. It probably is a little far-fetched for that setup to actually work, but... I think she still makes the cut, for sure. I had her at a man. I think that's harsh. I think she's at least a playable. I don't know if I'm willing to follow you all the way to auto-include, though. I think I'd be willing to meet in the middle. Okay. Call her playable at one? Yeah. Okay, I have two more things I want to say. So one is, you know, just our usual, how many commander decks does she command and how many is she in? So she commands just 67 decks, which isn't anything that special and honestly surprises me a bit because it is a cool ability um albeit weak by modern standards she appears in a lot of commander decks though she's in 1576 which ain't too bad for a six drop from kamigawa i think that's very respectable uyo yeah way to go that's also making me realize we didn't say the commander numbers for the unspeakable and i'm sorry to report (laughs) he only commands uh 14 decks which uh isn't very many oh man I feel like wizards should errata the unspeakable to let him come in from the command zone. If somehow in commander a singleton format, you manage to do the thing where you chain the three <laughs> spells together. That would be a beautiful thing. Uyo silent prophet, um, playable one X. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you want to, you want to take us to our last blue card? Yep. The wandering ones are going to take us home. Wandering ones, one blue mana, a one, one spirit. That is it. Do you think that blue needs this one drop? I sort of felt like blue needs this. I don't think, I don't think blue but needs I, it. Maybe not. Cause I don't, I think white kind of needs the, well, even for white, right? We, we cast a lot of harsh glances towards Bushi Tenderfoot, which got us a lot of feedback on Reddit. Um, you know, he can potentially turn into a game winning badass and white is in a position to do a weenie thing. And I just, I haven't seen that in blue. Like blue feels like it's just trying to stall and resolve instance until it takes over the late game. And I don't think Wandering Ones helps you do that. Yeah, I think I'm biased by the art here. Oh, yeah, let's talk about the art. 
so good. It, it's probably the most spirited away, like the Miyazaki film kind of art in the set. Something that's funny about it is it looks very cozy when you just glance at it. It's like these three little blue men wearing yellow uh, kind of rice paddy hats and inviting you to join them on their walk. But then you look closer and realize their legs come out of their shoulders and they got one arm coming out of the back of their neck and another arm coming out of their groin. And it becomes like horrifying and a little bit cute. It's it's a really interesting piece of art. I like that comparison to Spirited Away because it, it, they definitely feel like exactly the spirits you would see, you know, walking across the bridge to the bathhouse. And like they're sort of like charming in a way, but also pretty creepy. Yeah, it's making me realize like I have a huge affinity for Spirited Away and Kamigawa. And I think those are not disconnected because they definitely, you know, we were saying how Kamigawa doesn't strike on things that are familiar from Jap about Japan from pop culture. Right. But boy, does it hit on the same kind of notes as Spirited Away. It definitely has that same kind of like hmm. freak, like Spirited Away has a lot of that kind of freaky quality, but also beautiful and just sort of otherworldly. Like there's, I, I never spotted that connection before. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of moments where you're sort of like, what is going on? Or like, what is this, this creature I'm looking at? Yeah. That is echoed a lot in Kamigawa. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Great art. I don't, I don't think we need wandering ones in the cube despite the great art. All right. Yeah. Should we just cut it? Let's just cut it. All right. Insta cut. Well, this episode is already unspeakably long. Oh boy. So let's make this outro short. Thanks for sticking with us through Sore Tommy, Spirits, so many instances that should have been arcane. As always, if you have feedback, thoughts, memories to share about any of the cards or any of the cards that are upcoming, uh, you can email us, clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and thank you to everyone who sent us feedback and thoughts and comments on Reddit. We were just so chuffed to see it. And it's, it's just been great seeing people share their memories and opinions. Yeah, it was it was really awesome to hear from so many people after just one episode. And we're excited to keep going. For today, though, uh, keep that feedback coming. And until next time, I'm Austin. I'm Connor. Thanks for listening.